The drive-through is GTM's monthly news episode and is sponsored in part by organizations like hpdejunkie.com, Hooked on Driving, AmericanMuscle.com, CollectorCarGuide.net, Project Motoring, Garage Style Magazine, and many others. If you are interested in becoming a sponsor of the drive-through, look no further than www.gtmotorsports.org. Click About and then Advertising. Thank you again to everyone that supports Grand Touring Motorsports, our podcast, Break Fix, and all the other services we provide. Weird, weird music, whatever Eric has. Welcome to the drive-through episode number 36. This is our monthly recap where we put together a menu of automotive, motorsport, car-adjacent news, and wherever Eric has been this last month. So let's pull up to the window number one for some automotive news. Eric, where were you this month? Ah, our week drained me. What day is it, by the way? Like, I am in a time warp. I don't know. Let's do the time warp again. Too early. Although Halloween is out already. Can you believe that? Halloween was out after Easter. (laughs) (laughs) Summer isn't even over yet, and people are already stocking the shelves for Halloween. Soon, Christmas decorations will be out Valentine's Day. (laughs) (laughs) That's if they ever take them down. That's the secret. Just have a Christmas section. You never have to take it down. Just leave it up. You could take away 10% of the women's clothing section and still have plenty of room for a Christmas section. I think Kim Kardashian has something to say about that. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But you know what? It is 24-7 Christmas at Bronner's Christmas Wonderland in Frankenmuth, Michigan. So if you're on your way to the middle of nowhere, stop by. So there you go. But that's not why we're here. We're not here to talk Christmas. That's for later in the year. But wait, speaking of the Kardashians, how is California? I might have bumped into them. Wait. You couldn't miss them. (laughs) (laughs) You know, last time we got together, I recapped my epic journey to the European Union. This time I went to the completely opposite side of the country, thanks to Don at Garage Style Magazine. And we did 10 days of the Monterey Peninsula. For car week. Last time I checked, a week is only seven days. You know, I wrote an article about that too. (laughs) (laughs) That's them California weeks. Because you get stoned the first three. (laughs) California's famous car week is becoming really two weeks. Soon it's going to be car month. It's absolutely insane. And I will say, I've had people invite me out time and time again to go. And I'm like, man, I I don't know if I can put aside 10 days. I don't know if I can put aside a week. I don't know if I can go, you know, works in the way, you know, real stuff. But this time I couldn't pass up the opportunity, especially to go with a press team, with photographers, with everybody that was there contributing. It was an awesome experience and once in a lifetime to do it that way, to really do it up. I'll just summarize it for you. 10 days, 37 events, over 5,000 photographs, unbelievable people, places, and cars. We're going to do some show and tell this time. So if you're watching this on Patreon, you actually get to see what I'm showing off here because every event I went to, I got something. And I kid you not, I paid an extra hundred bucks to send my luggage home because in a mid-sized suitcase, I was at 60 pounds. That's my normal packing. Just your shoes, right? Just my shoes, my socks, my underwear. (laughs) So the Monterey area is cut up into these little towns and it starts with like Seaside and you work your way down to Fisherman's Wharf and then there's Carmel Valley, then there's the city of Carmel, then there's Pacific Grove and all these other places that are connected. Even Salinas where Laguna Seca is, it's all right there in in this conglomeration of different towns. At first I was kind of getting spun around. I'm like, where are we? Where are we going? It was a lot of driving and we were actually staying in, of all places, Garlic Town, USA, which is Gilroy, California, because we couldn't get a place in downtown 
downtown Monterey. We were commuting in about 40 minutes or so with our Lexus LX600 press vehicle, which I'll talk about here in a little bit. But I wanted to highlight some of the events we went to. And the first little town that's quite charming is Pacific Grove. It's full of like different things to do. There's a motorcycle museum there. There's some great places to eat. It seems to be a repeat offender when it comes to car shows. There's the little car show, there's a couple others, and then there's the classic motorsports car show. They're the authors of not only Classic Motorsports Magazine, but one we're all too familiar with, which is Grassroots Motorsports Magazine. Why I mentioned that it's debated whether or not the beginning of car week is actually a week from Pebble or if it's longer is that the quote-unquote kickoff event for many, many years was the Classic Motorsports Concours in Pacific Grove. Now, we back that up almost a week prior Car Week really kicks off with the Pasadera Concours, which we had Rick Barnett on the show last year to talk about. And I bumped into him several times while I was there in Monterey. What I liked about Classic Motorsports, it was one of those anything goes kind of shows. All sorts of stuff showed up. You're talking 911s to Camaro swapped MGs to Alpha Montreals to Jaguar XJR homologated race cars. It was actually a really great show. I really enjoyed it. Mad props to the Classic Motorsports guys. And free magazine. So I'm going to flip through it. I'm going to take a look at this thing. Lots of really cool stuff in here. Also in Pacific Grove, I mentioned the Little Car Show. That was a lot of fun. We returned for that. It's historically been cars with 1,601 cc's or less. So we're talking 1.5 liters, 1.6 liters rounded up. This year, they opened it up to 1.8 liters. So 1,801 cc's, which kind of opened up the field a little bit, allowed some Miatas in and Nissan Pulsars, like all sorts of crazy stuff in the 80s, because as engines got bigger, so did the little car show need to grow. So that was a lot of fun. You saw a lot of micro cars, Japanese imports, you know, stuff like that. So I, I thought that was pretty cool. How many Mark IV 1.8Ts did you see? Or does the power adder take it over? It doesn't because they're just classified by displacement and technically were 1787, but I saw absolutely zero Mark IVs. Because they were all at Radwood. No, but you know who did represent us from the Dubber side was a G60 Corrado that was in excellent shape. So one of the other events that I think I have to say when I look back was maybe one of my favorites, and that's Radius. By Broad Arrow. And so Broad Arrow got bought by Haggerty. So it's part of that whole, you know, they bought Motorsports Reg, they bought Radwood, they're putting all this stuff together. So they've relabeled the Broad Arrow auction to Radius. And they're going to be doing this at Amelia as well and a couple other places. And what I liked was it was set at the Monterey Jet Center, which is the airport there in Monterey. And they made it look and feel like a late 50s, early 60s Hollywood movie set. It just had this appeal to it. It had this feel of luxury. It also doubled for the location for the Motor Lux, which was later in the evening, which is more of like a black tie type of gala event. But the caliber of cars they had, I thought was pretty awesome. Ranging from, you know, the big doozies and the Packards and stuff like that, all the way to crazy concept cars like Weigert's Vector or an Isdera 108, which I'm wearing the t-shirt and a little show and tell here as well. And really everything in between. The big three cars up on stage... Ferrari F50, Ferrari 288 GTO, and a Dyson Porsche. Those were like the headlining cars. Wait, wait, wait. Did you just say F50? I did say Five F50. zero. Five zero. Okay. The most undesirable of the F cars is what you're trying to say? Yeah, yeah, Was yeah. a highlight of the events. I know you love that car. I do. It was the only one F50 apparently up for auction in all of Car Week where there was half a dozen F40s for sale. People don't get rid of them. They keep them. <laughs> 
<laughs> they didn't make that many to begin with either, right? Whatever. It was cool seeing one again in person. I mean, I haven't seen one in years. They are pretty rare. So I got all sorts of pictures of that. It's actually that headline photo of the Radius article that we wrote. And that's part of what made this week stressful too. We were averaging four to five events a day over 10 days. And then we were writing every night, processing pictures. So we tried to highlight events that were really unique and really different. Radius was one of them. It just had this champagne and roses type of feel to it that other events didn't have, but all the events are different. And that's part of the awesomeness of Car Week. I did pick up a copy of Haggerty's Drivers Club magazine, which I've been wanting to get from anybody that had Haggerty insurance. But I figured, hey, it's available for free, so I'm going to check it out. And this particular issue covers Porsche's 75th birthday, so I'm looking forward to flipping through that and reading the articles. As many of our listeners probably know, we had John Craman on from Mecham. We did a special pre-release through Patreon, a couple other things. If you wanted to go behind the scenes of the auction, get some pro tips from John, we got his road to success story. But what we ended up doing was when we went to Mecham to see their Monterey, what they call the daytime auction, we actually ran into John again. He said, hey, let me take you behind the scenes of the auction and show you how it runs unbelievably busy, super chaotic. And we have all that footage. It's up on our YouTube. It was really nice of him to do that. We got access to all sorts of stuff that you don't normally see. Met a bunch of people like in the production studio, other commentators, you know, just watch the auction unfold live. And it is more of that traditional, you know, standard American auction where you got the guy up there. I mean, it's just this constant never-ending cycle of cars coming in and off the block. And if a car spends more than two minutes on the block, it's too much. And so it's this just parade and this commotion, and it's very different. It's very lively. It's energetic. And when you go out on the field, then you can see the cars that are still up for sale, the ones that have sold, what they've sold for. It's very interactive. So that was a lot of fun. And again, really appreciate John taking us on that tour and showing us how the auction runs and how it operates behind the scenes. I did actually watch some of the Mecham auctions because they had coverage on Motor Trend app. So I was able to catch some of that. And you're right, like I didn't see any car go across the block and spend more than like a minute and a half, two minutes. They were boom, 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 get off the block. Even if they weren't sold, you know, they put the little graphic up. The bid goes on. Yep. Uh, yeah, I, I like watching those auctions. I like watching them with older people like my father-in-law and my dad because they love to reminisce about the vehicles and then complain about how much they sell for. You know, I'm glad you brought up the bid goes on. John took us over there in the behind the scenes. That's actually a separate section of the auction where you can continue to bid on the cars once they're off the block and actually negotiate a price rather than the whole, you know, 50, 54, 52, you know, all that kind of stuff. You can settle down and say, okay, I'm offering this. Are you willing to take it? Negotiate with the owners if they're there, stuff like that. So it's really interesting how they run that. But to your point, Brad, a minute and a half, two minutes, every car on the block, they got 600 cars to go through in like three days. So they got to keep that thing moving. Well, I got to give a shout out to Steve Cottrell at Veloce Media. We ran into him so many times, whether it was at his place, at the premiere of the new beer rally time, at Concorso Italiano, which I'll talk about here in a minute, to some private parties that were at his place. I felt like we were bumping into Steve every two minutes and especially thankful that he opened up his place for us to take a photo shoot for our Lexus press car. It came out really cool. He's got this 
awesome octopus mural in the background. There's actually a jellyfish one buried in the back behind where the kitchen is and stuff like that. There, you're going to see those photos in a garage style article coming out where we feature Beloche Media and their building. It's really cool because it's unassuming from the street. You drive by it not even paying attention to it. And inside it's a wooden roof and all this glass and that mural. And it was the really great backdrop to take photos of the Lexus. And they came out really, really awesome. So I got to give a nod to Steve at Veloce, but also because this happens almost all the time. You're like so tired. You're done with the day. You've done all these events. And then the phone rings and Don's like, Hey, we just got invited to two private parties or three private parties. Which one do you want to go to? And you're like, <laughs> none. <laughs> you know, I just want, I want to go home and process pictures, but we would do that in the evenings, go where people invited us. And so we ended up back at Steve's one evening for the Avance party. And so Avance is a lifestyle brand and magazine. Every issue is about 140 pages, beautiful photographs, really, really nice stuff in this magazine. The one I have here is the Monterey edition. So I got to actually, meet Avance. I got to meet those guys. And while we were there chatting and looking at Ferrari 250s and wide body 911s and all this kind of stuff that was in the showroom, in walks Matt Farah from the Smoking Tire and Jason Camisa from Haggerty. We stood there for a while and I kept thinking, Brad wants me to talk to these guys. Like, I got to talk to these guys. And I'm there with Mike Piptone from ESE Carbon, who we'll talk about here in a minute as well. And he's like, let's go talk to Jason. Let's do it. So we're standing there like two fools. And Matt Farah and Jason are having this conversation. I snapped a photo. I don't know what they were talking about, but the expressions on their face was really, really funny. But Brad, that's as close as I got because we unfortunately got pulled to another party. I know that Mike went and talked to Jason. So if you guys are listening, love to have you on the show. Would love to get your road to success stories on break fix. So look forward to an email that's going to go to spam in the near future. I had to go to my more familiar stomping grounds, the racetrack, the Monterey Historics at WeatherTech Laguna Seca Raceway. They sort of run autonomous from concurrently with Car Week. But traditionally, there was a race around Pebble Beach back in the 50s as a Grand Prix and then eventually moved to Laguna Seca in 1957. It was always the lead up to the Pebble Beach Concord. The idea was you go race your car and then you go show your car. Now what they do is what they call the Tour de Elegance, which we have a video of that as well. It kind of simulates the old days racing around Monterey on 17 mile drive and around Pebble Beach and things like that. And then they end back at the Concord and get the car staged. Meanwhile, the historics are going on at Laguna Seca. 300 cars. There were 13 classes of cars running every day, either between practice qualifying and then there was race one and race two. So I went on race day, hyper-focused on group four, which was 1981 to 91 Trans Am, IMSA, GTO, all the big body cars, V8 stuff. Was hoping there was going to be a five-cylinder fire-breathing dragon of an Audi there, but it was still fun. Corvettes and there was a Newman Nissan in the mix, so that was good. And then Group 6 was vintage Formula One cars, which was just ear-shatteringly awesome. And then Group 13, which was my absolute favorite. We had to stick around to the end of the day to watch them. You had Pat Long in his Celeste green, Bianchi blue, whatever you want to call it, Porsche 962, amongst other 962s, Audi R8, you had Jaguars, you had Buicks, you had Spice Budweiser cars, all sorts of basically Le Mans prototypes, GTP cars celebrating, you know, the 100th Le Mans. That was 
spectacular to watch, especially big turbo cars running around Laguna Seca. Absolutely amazing. And Laguna is one of those awesome tracks where you can see from everywhere, but it requires a little bit of hiking to get to different vantage points, but absolutely amazing to be there on race day. You were there for motorcycles too, weren't you? There were bikes there, but I didn't see them. Were they running in the same day, just different group? We got there a little later in the morning because we had to cover Porsche Works first, which I'm going to mention now. And then we ended up at Laguna lunchtime on because we had looked at the schedule going, these are the three groups that we really want to see. So I missed the bikes and, and all that kind of stuff. But as you wandered the paddock, there was a little bit of everything. You've got a note here for Corvette 70th. Do you want to touch on that? or That's a really great reminder. You know, we've mentioned many times we have a special episode that we did with the IMRC about the 70th birthday of Corvette. It coincides with Porsche's 75th. They're always trying to one up each other. So I kind of split hairs on thoughts I was having while at the track. I did a coverage of the Monterey Historics, but I also did an article called Porsche versus Corvette, trying to decide whether or not one or the other is the everyman sports car. And you'll have to read it to find the conclusion. Is that the sequel to Ford versus Ferrari? Yeah, I think so. It's Porsche versus Corvette. Yeah, yeah. But what was nice is they had a really cool display of Corvettes I'd never seen in person. Some of the prototypes, the Aerovet was there. They had Ben Keating's Corvette that I saw live at Le Mans, the winning Corvette. So that was fun to walk through that outdoor museum that they set up and photograph that. I have pictures of, of all sorts of the different Corvettes that were there. And they were making a big to-do celebrating Corvette. And like I mentioned before, Porsche Works, which is the PCA-sponsored event, they were celebrating Porsche in style. Some of the craziest cars you've ever seen, some of the craziest colors you've ever seen. I ran into the current executive director and former executive directors, that's Vu and Manny from PCA, and we had a chat. So they've agreed to come on the show in the future and do a crossover with us, but it was good to reconnect with them. They're in the same region that we're in here on the East Coast. They actually did a segment on the crazy colors of Porsches at Porsche Works. So there's a video there on PCA.org to check out. So that was a lot of fun reconnecting with those guys. And Porsche Works was a great show to attend. It was free to anybody that wanted to go and check it out. To answer your question online on Instagram, the answer is always green. Always. <laughs> it's always green. Yellow Lemon versus lime. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's always lime. Lemon just doesn't look right on a 911 to me. Unless it's a yellow bird. Well, it's funny you bring up lemons because I did go to the Concourse de Lemons. <laughs> yes. Please touch on that. It's exactly what you expect. It's the hoopties, it's the rust buckets, it's the undesirables, it's the ugly cars. Like we talked about on our What Should I Buy Ugly Cars episode. It's everything you can think of and then some other stuff you didn't even know existed. I feel like you missed an opportunity to win something with your former Aztec. <laughs> Wasn't mine, didn't own it. <laughs> well, there was an Aztec there along with a silhouette, the dust buster of minivans and, and other stuff like that. Oh, the silhouette. That's the one that basically basically looks like Illumina. Yep. The guy yes. actually had a dust buster on the windshield. It was hilarious. I was like, this is awesome. So the thing about Concours de Lemons is, thank God it's free because you get exactly what you pay for. <laughs> I did a video of it. It's on our YouTube. It's compressed. I, literally, it's Concours de Lemons in 60 seconds because that's really all you need to understand what happened there. So a lot of fun. It is a bit of a circus too. Prizes and giveaways and the announcers are making fun of each other, making fun of the cars. And there's a guy on top of his vehicle riding a bucking Bronco. I mean, it's the weirdest stuff you've ever seen is at the show. So why not? Just enjoy it, right? It's part of Car Week. It's part of car culture. And that's what Car Week's about is this celebration of car culture. 
So then we step into the more serious side of car week. As we get closer to Pebble, once you get to the Wednesday, Thursday, that's when everybody starts to arrive in town. The celebrities start to show up. Things are getting more serious. Cars are getting ready for the Tour de Elegance, like all this kind of stuff. The auctions are still sort of going, but wrapping up. Everybody's trying to get to Pebble, right? That is Nirvana for this entire week. So we took the time to go to Concorso Italiano touted as the largest collection of Italian cars, basically all in one spot. Other than Italy. True. (laughs) (laughs) I would like to think that Italy would win that by default. I think there was more Fiats at this show than there is in Italy, though. I will say that. More running Fiats, you mean? Yeah, 100%. Absolutely gorgeous cars. When you come on through the gates, it's Lamborghini all day. And there's Lamborghinis that we talk about where it's like, oh, the Halpa and the Jarama and the Spada. And you're like, oh, they're super cool. And there's six of them right there. And you're like, never seen so many in one spot at the same time. They had this neat stage set up. They had a fashion show. They had announcers. And then they would take certain cars out of the field and then drive them in. I actually have a video of a Bizzarini Strada, which is the Bizzarini Coupe, which is Chevy V8 powered, by the way. Yeehaw! And he's revving and idling and sitting there and it's just, blah, 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 you know, the whole thing like you'd expect from a Trans Am. So we've got that up. It was a lot of fun. I spent some time wandering around the Ferrari section and quickly realized I could buy merchandise at a Formula One race and it would be cheaper. I didn't bring anything <laughs> home. <laughs> <laughs> that said, the Fiats and the Alfa Romeos, though, I mean, if they had tucked them any further back, they would have been at a different car show. Like they were up over the hill, like out of the way. Nobody wants to see X19s. Maybe they were at a different car show. You just stumbled upon it. Now, I had fun talking to those guys. I had a delightful conversation with a guy who did a custom livery on his Alpha 4C. Looked really slick. Bunch of GTV6s, 164s, Milanos, all the old stuff I appreciate. I was hoping to see an Alpha SZ, which is one of my favorites. It wasn't to be, but I did talk to a lot of X19 owners and Fiat 124 guys. That was really cool. I mean, Concorso was a lot of fun. You got to see the cars that we salivate over. I mean, you just drop a name. Countach, Diablo, 328, 348, Testarossa, 288. It didn't matter. They were all at that show. So it's really worth going to if you appreciate Italian cars. Spoiler alert, because you're going to talk about this later. Is this where you got to talk to the CEO of Lamborghini or was it a different event? No, I got to talk to Stefan Winkleman while I was at Pebble Beach. That's another story for another Uh, time. Like five minutes from now. So we went to a new event, new for this year, sponsored by Nikum. It's called the Monterey Motorsports Festival. Shout out to David at MIE Racing for bringing this to our attention. He knows some folks over there. He says, you got to go to the show. You got to cover it. You got to check it out. It's very different than anything I've described so far. It's sort of Monterey's version of grid life without the drifting and the track event. It's all the other parts of grid life. It's that festival. It's the music. It's newer cars. It's the things you don't see at all the other shows shows right the tuner cars all the jdm stuff because you walk around you're like where's all where's all the newer european stuff or newer japanese cars so you don't see a lot of that at the other shows so it was nice more our speed more my style the older guys were just like yeah it's okay it's cool you know blah 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 the food was hands down the best Well, yeah, it's our people. Food truck food for the win. So they got that right. It was super awesome. The singers they had up on stage, Brad, I think you would have appreciated that. They were really, really good. This one woman, 
had a real knack for making herself sound like a Carly Simon or a Linda Ronstadt. She was very flexible, very adaptable in her singing. So that was a lot of fun. We actually watched her for quite a while and then, you know, took turns looking at different cars and stuff. Were they like a cover band or were yeah. they like a yeah. legitimate artist? No, a cover band. I don't remember her name. Unfortunately, she's out of New York City. I'm sure we can look it up and see who it was. It was a great performance and it added a good ambiance to the show. And in front of her on stage was a Maserati and then an old Packard and all they had a mix of cars kind of highlighting all the different decades. And she made a point to mention that between songs as they were changing some of the instruments out. And that's also where I got an opportunity to see some cars from Meekum that I didn't see when I was there to include a wide body Speedster V8 914. <laughs> which was just off the charts insane. I was like, had I known this thing was for sale, I might've been on it. It's kind of cool. We have to ramp up. The big two events, the ones that everybody talks about every year are the Quail and Pebble. And it comes down to which one do you go to? Which one do you spend the money to go to? Because both are very expensive. Both are very posh. If you look at the cover photo of the Quail video that we just quickly put together, you kind of get an idea of what the Quail is all about. But what's interesting is that even though it's sponsored by Bonhams and it has been for many, many years, it's a little bit more modern than Pebble. You had brands like Singer there. You had Maserati showing off new cars. You had a new Bentley prototype. Kia was there with some of their concept cars. So it was a little bit more modern, but it was a very upscale event. So it was really kind of cool to see that intersection between those two ideas represented at a very high profile concourse. Before we get into Pebble, I have to know, what did you wear? <laughs> Did you look like the help or did you look like someone who belonged there? Well, I was warned ahead of time that I needed to bring a change of clothes. A lot of events I went to, polo shirt, jeans, nicer shoes. In Pacific Grove, you could go in jeans and a t-shirt or shorts, didn't really matter. Did you wear the yellow, everyone has a story? <laughs> I did not because I didn't want to look like a flagger. <laughs> <laughs> Pebble is probably where I dressed up the most. You're talking slack, sport coat, you know, all that kind of stuff. It is more upscale. You know, you got to represent when you look around, everybody has those funny straw hats, which I thought about buying one. But when you look at the hat and it doesn't have a price in the price tag, you know, you probably don't or want or can't afford it. So I'm just like, I'm going to leave that alone. <laughs> There's a lot of hype around Pebble Beach. Been around for 70 some odd years now on the golf course, on the 18th fairway. It is supposed to be the epitome of luxury, high life and all this kind of stuff. And some of the finest cars in the world. And one of the things I came to find out, which I thought was really interesting, is they've incorporated the concept cars. And I got to see where the DeLorean Reimagine was unveiled last year because they have other concept cars in that area. That's actually before you even enter Pebble, basically what is a really large putting green right near the pro shop. Mm. I also learned that cars that enter Pebble cannot re-enter Pebble for like upwards of a decade. So once it's been accepted and shown, you won't see that same car again at Pebble Beach. They try to really mix it up. So you don't have the same champion every year or the same three cars competing. You're like, hey, I've seen all these before. They want to mix it up. They really want to break up the show. It is sectioned off. So you've got like an entire section of pre-war cars, Packards, Preservation Group, Porsche Group, and you can go from group to group to group and kind of focus on what you really like. The difference between the Avance Party and Quail, even Broad Arrows Radius, 
Pebble is where all the it people are. It's where all the celebrities come. It's where all the movie stars are. It's where all the CEOs and executives. I mean, I was 10 feet from the current CEO of Ford. I talked to Stefan from Lamborghini while I was standing next to Magnus Walker. And I've recognized other people that have been on the show and things like that. And it's just like, this is the who's who of California and of the automotive world all in one spot. And we're surrounded by the most beautiful cars you've ever seen. What's funny is the Pebble actually has two books. There's the little field guide, which is packed full of information while you're looking at cars. And then there's the big Pebble program, which is like the phone book, just full of stuff sponsored by Rolex, everything you come to expect from all these brands. It is a cut above, but the question becomes, if you're going to these shows as a civilian or as a layman, you really have to build car week on a budget. Pebble's not cheap. $500 for a ticket, scalpers up to 800. Quail's not cheap either. A lot of these events add up quick. So you got to have a big budget or decide, I want to just focus on this and then do all the surrounding shows and private parties. And there's something for everybody during car week. So you got to kind of make those financial decisions. It's not like I can do everything and be everywhere during car week. So Pebble or Amelia Island? That was thrown around a lot too. But having talked to people that have been to Amelia, and not that there's anything wrong with Amelia, there's gorgeous cars there that are coming from the east. There's not the rest of what makes up Car Week at Amelia. You go to Amelia for Amelia, there's not the driving tours and there are the private parties, but there's not 16 other car shows happening on the same day as Amelia. There's just that one event. Now, there's been talk that, you know, how the Haggerty's involved, that that's going to grow rebranding as Radius, just like they did with the Broad Arrow event. So really interested to see how Emilia evolves. It would be really cool if it turned into another car week, but it's going to take some time to get there. Are you going to tell us about your conversation with Stefan, or are you going to keep that to yourself? (laughs) You know what? I'm going to save it for a future Break Fix episode. How about that? Yeah. And I do see here that you saw the new Countach. I did. Tell us your thoughts. Mr. Hater. I don't hate it as much anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Imagine that. Mm-hmm. It does look better in person than in pictures. It's not that it's horrible in picture. It's just you're kind of like, is that right? Does that look right? When you see it coming, it's sort of like the EB110 Bugatti, which doesn't photograph well either. But you see it in person, you're like, that's the Batmobile. And the Countach in that white, it's huge, it's wide, it's low, sort of like the old Countach where it's just so over the top, you can't stop looking at it. And every angle you look at it, it's one of those cars you see something else. And that's what you don't see in the photographs because the photographs are almost too polished. They're almost too rendered. But to see it in person, I mean, I just stood there and I'm just like, I don't know what to say. I like it. (laughs) I still think Magnus's version of it is better. But you know, hey, to each his own. All right. One of the other things that really stood out at Pebble, we're talking about car spotting, was the McLaren display right along the coastline. Awesome. And I stopped dead in my tracks and just had a moment amongst all the noise. I had a moment of silence for Senna's F1 car. Took all sorts of pictures of it. And, you know, it's funny as a guy walks up and, you know, I'm just kind of standing there, not like I'm meditating or, you know, (laughs) kneeling down or anything, but he's like, whose car is this? Like, I recognize it. And I'm like, bro, seriously? (laughs) And he was an older guy and he's an admitted Formula One fan. I said to him, it's Senna's car. He's like, well, how do you know? And I said, it's written right on the hoop, dude. But it's number 12. It's his car. It's pretty legendary Formula One car here. We had a good 
laugh and then we were chatting. So we continued to walk along. And then next to that was one of Donahue's McLarens, one of Bruce McLaren's McLarens. Then you had Mika Hockenden's McLaren. Then you had James Hunt scaffolding multiple wings and all this crazy stuff. So that to me as a racer and a motorsports enthusiast, that was awesome. That was my favorite part of Pebble. And I didn't know it was going to be there. So that just immediate surprise as I came around the corner and their Senna's car and all the rest of them, I was just like, that sold it for me. That was amazing. And you didn't get arrested for trying to climb in. I'm proud of you. You know, my media pass gets me to certain places too. You know, I cross over those <laughs> chains a little bit. <laughs> yeah. All in all, car week was amazing. It is completely a blur. We're talking 18 hour days, just nonstop, go here, go there, driving around. I think we clocked 2000 miles of driving or something insane. It's a lot of work. Maybe not physically demanding, but it's just mentally stressful. You're looking at the events, not through the eyes of a participant either. You're looking at it through the eyes of the press. What looks good? Camera angles? Is the lighting right? You know, there's a lot of decisions. How are we going to use this? Make sure you grab that car because that could be a winner. So you got to photograph everything. It's kind of nuts at the end of the day, but I don't want to say it was a once in a lifetime opportunity, but it was definitely something I'm glad I'm now able to check off my bucket list. And I did it in a big, big way. Well, with that, it's time we move on to Volkswagen, Audi, and Porsche news. What is this thing? What is this? Oh, yeah. I don't know what this is, but apparently it's Audi honoring 150 years since manufacturing began in Neckarsalem. It's called the NSU Prinz 4, and it's unrecognizable as an Audi. NSU, for those that don't know the wider history of the auto union, was one of the four circles in the rings of Audi, right? So NSU was absorbed into the auto union and the NSU Prince was one of these little like Nash metropolitan things that they made back in the day. NSU is also where the Wankel, the rotary was born. So side by side with the original one, this looks so much better. Yeah, it's a reimagination of the original NSU Prince. I really like it. It kind of reminds me of what Alpine is doing with the new R5. I don't necessarily feel good about about the back of it i don't understand like it's got a very long trunk lid and a very long rear spoiler wing thing double spoiler action going on it's the fender flares that do it for me i like the fender flares so i like the look from the front it's very mm. low it's very squat it's boxy but with round headlights although they're oval but with two round headlights inside the oval oh, okay so aren't those the rivian lights just turned on their side they're reminiscent <laughs> <laughs> they could be. They probably sourced them from the same place Rivian did. Again, this is right up there with the reimagined R5, the Opel Manta EV, some of the other ones that have come out. This is not going anywhere. This is just a concept, right? Yeah. Can they make it? I mean, I'd be happy with it. I see. Unfortunately, nobody's going to buy that. A rich person is going to buy it just to say that they have it. There's nothing practical about that car. It's so small. Considering how it actually looks smaller than the original, I'm going to guess the original's not that big. Right. It's not practical enough for today's standards. Well, let's talk about another car that's being reimagined. Porsche made an announcement. Their Vision 357 Speedster celebrating 75 years. Yes. So what is this? It's a car. It's like a weird 356 Spider, but looking more modern. I like it, but I don't. I don't know what to think of it. Like, there's really cool aspects to it. I think the wheels are really neat. I like that grill in the back that reminds me of a 356 with those striations that they had, you know, back then. That canopy is obviously from the 356 Speedster. There's some elements of the 550 Spider in this car. They could have also just called it an electric Boxster. 
Yeah, and that's what I'm trying to figure out. So it's obviously mid-engine, but the front clip still looks like a 911, like an old 911. Right. But it doesn't have headlights either. So I'm trying to figure out how that works. Or it does, and it's just like they beam through perforations. I don't know. I'd have to see it in person. It's kind of cool. Again, it's a concept, so they're probably not going to build it. It's just to, I guess, celebrate 75 years of Porsche. 75 years of the 356. Yeah. Well, and this is just it. This is what I expected when they were making that big reveal when Le Mans was happening on June the 8th. And then they revealed the 9X. We were guessing that it was going to be some sort of homage to the 356. It didn't happen. So here we are a month later. And yes, okay, so there is a 356 sort of prototype speedster car. I think it would be kind of cool to make something like this. So the, there is a hardtop version. Really? That was the one they announced back in January. You can see the picture, yes. Which also, from the side profile side, it's kind of actually pretty hideous, but it's got weird elements of different past Porsches. And that's probably the whole point. But I will also say, I think it's funny that maybe they'll go back to the 300 series numbers, because I feel like Porsche has exhausted the 900s at this point. I mean, that's why we have 991.1 and 991.2, and because they're just running out of model numbers. So maybe going back to the 300 line, which there's only been the 356 and maybe a handful of others, gives them an opportunity to make some different models. But think about the marketing event that would be to have the Porsche 1000. And that's something Don and I were joking about, you know, these guys talking about their 991.2 and 992.whatever. And he goes, tell them you have a 991.4 and see what happens. Because they'll be like, wait a minute, they didn't make that. When did the dot three come out? Like you get them all wrapped around the axle on something like that. But dot whatever, it's almost like software. It's like, oh, Windows 10 dot one dot two dot three. I'm like, whatever. It's a an automotive patch. <laughs> We'll talk about that in a little bit. I like the 357, both the Speedster and the Coupe. I think they're cool. I would take one if I fit and if they made it and if I could afford it. There are a lot of variables there that I need to meet before I can take one of these. Mm -hmm. Well, with that, we need to move on to Stellantis. We actually have some news coming from Chrysler, Dodge, Fiat, and the whole conglomerate. The new 2025 Dodge Stealth Durango. Did I read that right? what exactly so is it a stealth or is it a durango it's a stealth durango oh it's a durango in stealth mode that you don't know it's durango. Oh, okay it's just a jeep it's incognito it looks like a big hornet it looks better than the hornet like a big square hornet with 24 inch wheels or whatever those look like because the hornet in pictures although we've seen it in person i saw one on the road it looks like the dart was stretched upwards like a car that they turned into an SUV. What is that weird Stellantis badge on the front? That's the Dodge. That's the two red stripes. Is that all that is? I thought it was an S. No. Whatever it is, it looks stupid. Which is confusing because the Grand Sport has those two slashes on the Corvette, right? Yeah, the Grand Sport on does the on the Fender. Yeah. I don't know what it all means. All I know is that I've heard nothing but commercials about Dodge and the brotherhood of muscle. I feel like this is in that same realm. It's a muscly SUV, has those things on the top of the fenders that remind me of the Land Rover, the Defender. Would love to see what that actually does in real life. Nothing. Yeah, I would be curious to see it in real life. It's interesting. Yes. So Stellantis News, Dodge is coming out with a new Durango. They're calling it the Stealth because they're idiots. And some other idiots are going to buy it. Moving on. 
<laughs> and, and the sad part is there's only one photograph and i think it's just a rendering no so there's a second photograph if you click in with a different logo with a different emblem you're right you're right the grill is slightly different but there's no shots from the back and if you do look at that rear quarter panel it is a little disconcerting it's probably just a rendering it yeah. probably does not exist are there no pictures in those 13 photos nope it's all pictures of old durangos uh, There's what? a picture at the beginning and a picture at the end. Clickbait. 100% clickbait. Well, it's Motor Trend. What do you expect? Well, you know what isn't clickbait? Our domestic news brought to us by American Muscle, your source for Ford, Chevy, and sometimes Mopar parts. <laughs> we participated in a Zoom session over the last month with Ben Keating from Team Corvette by way of our friends at the ACO USA. And if you tuned into the show this month, you'll see that we also interviewed David Lowe, the administrator for the American arm of the ACO. And so we can get into more details on that. You tune back into Break Fix. But it was a really great hour-long presentation by Ben. He talks about his experience winning Lama. It's like the second or third time he's done it, obviously with different teams. We got the announcement that GM is officially sunsetting the factory team, but that doesn't mean that's the end of Corvette at Lama. What was really cool was listening to him talk about the driver changes, driving at night, how hard it was, and the race to the end, especially when they were a couple laps down and they came from the back of the pack, you know, in GTLM to win it. It's available, especially if you become a member of the ACO. You can check it out on their Facebook group. The Zoom session is out there, but it's a really great evening, great discussion with Ben Keating. I mentioned we were at Pebble Beach and I ran into the CEO of Ford. <laughs> I'm just going to read the headline. Ford tried to be Tesla and it cost the company billions. And then I look down and I see a picture of Jim Farley and he's like rubbing the hood of this F-150 Lightning like he's Gollum from Lord of the Rings. And all I could keep thinking was, my precious, my precious. <laughs> but the result of all of this, if you summarize the article, is Ford cut the price of the F-150 and its stocks took a nosedive. Which is apt to happen when somebody does that and then investors get all scared scared does it mean anything tbd remains to be seen it's all bullshit like i don't understand how tesla is so successful carbon credits it works out really well for tesla because there's this side funneling of money into the company <laughs> from tech bros and people that you know refuse to let their investment die or elon himself just funneling his own money in there probably yeah but ford just has normal customers customers so they don't play that game don says it all the time you sell more fords than ferraris and so if they can make something that appeals to the masses like the f-150 just got to get the recipe right people bought on to the mm. tesla bandwagon just like the iphone and so is the ford f-150 the android i don't want to make that analogy but you kind of get my point right the f-150 as we've said before is the best-selling vehicle in north america the question is was electrifying it the right move. I've also heard that Ford is backing the throttle off on V6 EcoBoost 150s and they're moving back to V8s. So what does that mean exactly? <laughs> What's old is new again. The coyote. Arr! Funny little tidbit, Elon Musk actually commented on the price of the F-150 Lightning saying it's too expensive. <laughs> 
Oh, there's the pot calling the kettle black. He was complimentary, saying that the Ford Lightning was a good vehicle, though. Good vehicle, yes, but somewhat expensive, especially given the high interest rates. And so the Ford is what, like forty thousand right now, something around that. It's supposed to be forty thousand, or started forty, but they were selling around fifty thousand. The Cybertruck's gonna be. So it starts around fifty, and depending on if you do tri motor, bi motor, single motor, quadruple motor. They don't even have prices out yet. When they first announced that they had prices in the tri motor was supposed to be like 75 to 80 because that's the one that i have on hold for a hundred dollars <laughs> that i'm still trying to give away people somebody please contact us through our channels to buy my 100 deposit on a cyber truck i will give it away for five dollars oh i oh. thought it was a bag of tacos from taco bell that's about five dollars <laughs> <laughs> Switching to Japanese and Asian imports, more news on the Hyundai N74 that we like so much. Did you guys see this latest quote unquote production version? No, but I'm following this page. Something about it that looks different than the other. It looks boring. Yes, it's the missing the wing. It's missing like the air ducts, I think, on the side that the other one had. Some of the ground effects are less aggressive on this. It reminds me of the Subaru SVX. Not quite that level of weird, but yes, to your point. You know what it looks like, Tanya? It looks like a Stereon. It looks like a Conquest TSI. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. It still has the flares, but the rest of the car is just sort of like meh. Which I can't hate that comment, but they could be doing like Toyota did. Toyota, when they released the Supra, they had a bunch of what looked like fake vents and stuff like that. Right. And it was theorized that they were put on there on purpose to sell performance parts and packages in the future. So maybe uh... you can add the wing and some of the more radical pieces later on. Either that or some aftermarket's going to make them. Yeah, exactly. Maybe this is just the base model. And that's okay, too. Like, maybe if there's a base model, and then there's, like, the GT model. When the 350Z came out, there was the base 350Z, and it went all the way up to the performance or track version that had various different options and stuff. Well, it's almost like this is, like, the base coupe gt and but we need like the urq next to it yeah the sport quattro exactly i will say i hate it in this silver color it looks like it was born in the 80s it would look really cool white or red yeah it wouldn't look really that great in black because i think you lose all of its shape in black although black cars are gorgeous yeah the silver it's reminiscent of too many other cars that are coming out in silver right now even that 357 we were just talking about is a silver and white combination but if it was that kuntash white with the black accents i can see that really playing it to the strength of this car yes 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 so we'll see maybe it's just another rendering we don't know what the real thing looks like but i was a little disappointed when i saw that i was like it's very watered down in comparison to the track toy that has been teased multiple times over speaking of track toys you guys remember the s2000 yes i do i went for a ride in autocross in one once recently instructed in one what did you think of the s2000 tanya you know what i had never been in one i have only been around cheater ones i was actually pleasantly surprised by its neutral handling and its motorcycle like engine you know it's not the fastest thing but it's also not slow i heard they suffer from snap oversteer they do that is true i was instructed someone who wasn't pushing that aggressively so we didn't ever encounter anything like that 
thankfully. <laughs> That's good. And if you watch Initial D, the S2000 is God hand. <laughs> so in the passenger seat, the way this gentleman was driving, it felt very neutral. It didn't do anything weird. Which could also be that it doesn't have enough power to break it loose. But to Brad's point, when they do snap, they go. Around they come. They're a great drift car. I mean, everybody you know that I've ever talked to says they're amazing when they're sideways. I've ridden in some S2000s. I've driven a couple myself. They're always kind of a fun little roadster. For me, the Achilles heel was the engine. VTEC kicks in at 7,000 RPM and you got to wring its neck to almost 10 to get it to do anything. Yeah, the noise is awesome, but excruciating at the same time because you're like, I feel really bad for this engine that I have to rev it out like a motorcycle. But what if I told you a Honda was going to come back with the S2000 as an EV. I didn't even care about any of that. I saw the picture of this thing and it's atrocious looking. I don't care what it runs on fairy dust or not. Like this thing needs to go away. It looks like a cross between the new NSX and the yep. Del Sol. You read my mind, Brad, because I was thinking <laughs> the same thing. I will say I did see a brand new NSX on the highway the other day and it was beautiful. I almost uh, like started drooling. It looks so good next to me and it's really pretty bright blue color this does not look like that though this looks like the honda del sol kind of took over the styling portion of it because it has that targa bar thing going on with the rear glass there from what you can see from these pictures which there are not a ton but yeah the front end it's got that beak like the older acuras had and the nsx that it shares with i think the wheels are cool I think the importance of the article, though, is to get interest or, or the thing we should touch on is how do we feel about an S2000 replacement or successor as an EV? I don't think it would look like this. I think this is just somebody's stupid rendering. And Tanya just made the point that she doesn't even care about all that, you know, EV, not EV, whatever. It doesn't matter. Right. I think if it was like a mini version of the NSX and had hybrid technology, like a smaller version of the NSX's power plant, I think it would be pretty cool. So then why not just build an NSX? convertible at that point because the nsx is 200 plus something thousand dollars and the s2000 should be around 50 something and how much do you think this is going to be it should be around 40 or 50 hmm. we'll ask elon and see how much it should be <laughs> he's just going to shoot it into space <laughs> that's an episode for another day too i actually met the guy that designed the roadster so that was kind of fun oh you mean uh colin chapman uh, yeah well you know tanya hit the nail on the head it's all sort of meh at the end of the day with is it gas is it diesel is it ev is it hybrid is it whatever toyota is again back in the news saying meh to evs <laughs> they have not and they are still not building full EVs. They're sticking to hybrid. They've invested a ton of money in hydrogen. And it was really funny. I had a conversation while I was out in California with some Tesla owners. And I brought up the fact that there's a lot of companies moving to combustible hydrogen. It's not just Toyota. We mentioned in the last episode, Bosch and Liget and BMWs going down this route for a while. There's a bunch of others that are looking to combustible hydrogen. It was really funny because the pushback I got, especially when I mentioned Bosch, which I recognize as a global partner in the automotive industry, the gentleman said, I don't know who Bosch is. And hydrogen is not sustainable long term. And I'm like, wait, excuse me? <laughs> so strip mining the earth and Mars is? I'm super hopeful and backing Toyota's thought that EV is a stopgap right now to this idea of combustible hydrogen if they can solve the containment and distribution puzzle. Which is going to take decades. I mean, they also have to solve the acquiring piece as well. But the acquiring piece is also a problem with EVs. There's only so much lithium to go around. We don't have a great recycling program for it. And yes, we'll talk more about infrastructure.
infrastructure changes in the future, but we're still not there. There was a report that came out even the other day where they're saying that EV sales have plateaued. All the early adopters have adopted and we're at 7%. And nobody else can afford these cars. Yep. Not at 7 or 8% interest rates. Who can afford it? Well, that I and mean... we're at market saturation at like 7 or 8% of cars or EV. But the article I was reading was saying that to get from like 8% to 12% saturation, it's going to take another decade to do that. And in that decade, what other technology is going to come out? You have to have disposable income. You're in a certain bracket financially to just go out and be like, I'm going to dump my car that's probably maybe paid for and has nothing wrong with it and go spend 60 grand on an EV plus a charging system in your home plus whatever else. I mean, you've got money to play with. Your average person who's trying to make ends meet, they're going to keep running their Toyota Corolla till Chernobyl's in like 50 years. They're still driving their 1990 Camry. Yeah, EVs are still a niche affluent market. Well, you want to talk about niche affluent markets. How about luxury sedans that are turned into big SUVs? with off-road capability. How did you enjoy your Lexus? Our press car was a 2024 yet to be released to the general masses LX600 in a seaweed green. There's a full article that Don from Garage Style Magazine wrote about it and we took a ton of pictures of it. It was nice. There were some things that were different about it. Things that I didn't expect, like four independent captain's chairs in the vehicle, right? No third row seating in that thing. It had a parcel shelf behind the back row. It did cut into the trunk space a bit. I could control the front seats from a Captain Kirk-like console in the back, which was pretty cool. I could change the air con, the radio. Like I had this whole thing. Like I, th- I felt like I was on the Enterprise. So was Don Ubering you around? There was a bunch of us. So yes, but Don was our Uber. He got to drive most of the time. It has really fast adapting air ride suspension. Like my Jeep has air ride, but it's the Mercedes system. So it's a little slow and it's comfy. And well, it's generations old too. True, it's 10 years old. The Toyota reacts almost too fast in some instances and we found that the ride initially was really really harsh and we had to soften it up if you went over a speed bump slowly like one with collector cars tends to do or even with sports cars you know you want to roll up to the speed bump and cross over it you would have thought a landmine was going off underneath the lexus but if you hit that sucker at 30 miles an hour smooth as glass it was really bizarre we had to readjust the suspension, which we could do, but you could only do it when it was parked. And then it's buried in the menu system. And so that was a little kludgy. But it also had things like the climate concierge, which I'm still not 100% sure what that button does. I mean, it had heated and cooled everything from the back of your neck to the ball chiller to the massaging seat. I mean, it had everything you could possibly think of because it was fully loaded. Sticker price before taxes, tags, delivery, and anything else that could maybe get loaded on like optional paint colors or paint to sample or whatever you want to do. We were looking at above 130 grand. On the website, it shows 92. This one optioned out was above 130. Well, yeah, optioned out. Yeah, but base is 92. Would I buy one? No. It's a Sequoia underneath. So I don't know. The thing is, I thought it was a V8, but it wasn't. It was a twin turbo six. It was a definite get up and go engine. It made like 500 foot pounds of torque or something like that. And it was quick for as stout as that vehicle is. But the bigger problem was for all that luxury and all the gizmos and the electronic rear view mirror, like it doesn't actually have a rear view mirror and all these sensors and all this stuff that it has, you kind of go, well, that's going to break. How long is that going to last? I mean, Toyota Qual 
quality, right? Sure. But eventually with use, things wear out. The biggest issue was we're doing a lot of highway miles. We were filling it every other day. And with California gas prices of near $6 a gallon for super because it's twin turbo, you have to run super in it. That's costly, big time money to keep that thing on the road and keep it running. If you have $100,000 to spend on that, you have the money to spend on the fuel. Maybe. I don't disagree. I will say it turned a lot of heads. A lot of people were like, we've never seen this. What is this? And we're like, it's the new Lexus LX600. They wanted to see inside it. That color was really unique, especially with the baseball mitt interior. It looked really good together. It was a head turner the grill is probably its major drawback it looks better from the back than the front it looks like a range rover from the back the way they cut the bumpers and everything but they went from that honeycombed black widow grill to this just full-on face mask like it's got braces and then some luckily toyota didn't chrome it it's like a satin finish like brushed aluminum so it doesn't reflect everything and, and anything it can so it's still a little ostentatious, but you can live with it. And again, for the full review on the Lexus, you can jump back to our website or you can go over to Garage Style and read more about the Lexus and see more pictures and stuff. But now I'm going to pass the baton to Tanya to talk about other random new EVs and concept cars. This is less car or concept, but a infrastructure update. Apparently the EU is passing a law to blanket their highways by 2025 with fast EV chargers that must be placed every 37 miles <laughs> that's for like all the fiat 500 e's and stuff <laughs> it's a lot of chargers but focusing on the trans-european transport network the 10t as they call it which is like the designated major arteries through all the different european countries that's where their main focus is of putting all of these chargers so think just you know major highways it's a step <laughs> so you're saying every auto grill on the autostrada de sola is going to have an ev charger basically and then some, I would imagine, because the Alto Grills are not every 37 miles. <laughs> <laughs> This is going to be costly because it's not just, oh, we're just going to put in a charger. You've got to put in pavement. you got to build the mini gas station. You're probably going to have a restroom. Someone's going to maintain it. I don't know because it almost seems like they're just going to literally be like little outposts because everything has to be self-service, self-pay. There can't be any need for a person there. No cash. you got to be able to do contactless payment, blah, blah, blah. So if that's the case and they're every 37 miles and there's an auto grill in between, you're going to go make a stop at the auto grill and get a sandwich and then go charge <laughs> i don't know that you need to have all those amenities if you're just needing to top off right yeah and if you're in france you don't need a bathroom from my understanding so <laughs> true true back to a previous episode where the men in france just let her rip anywhere i got memories to prove that in other ev news the consumer reports has issued the 10 evs that should last more than three hundred thousand miles how much should all the other ones last? All the other ones are Teslas. So all the other cars are junk? Build quality of cars is supposed to be getting better. So you're telling me there's only 10 cars on this planet that'll get the 300,000 miles. No, no, no. Of the EVs out there, only 10 of the EVs should last more than 300,000 miles. I don't know what that means. Most of the car is no different than another car, right? Like the body. If you're saying the body can last 300,000 miles, well, we know that that's true of cars that are decades old, right? They're still out there. Maybe they're rusted, but they're still out there. You know, and to Tanya's point about cars going the distance, I met a gentleman while I was in Monterey who has a 356 that's about to go into the history books with almost 1 million 
original miles. And so once it crosses a million, it'll go into the Porsche Museum. And what he's doing, he's only got about 20,000 miles left. You could actually sign up to take a drive for whatever time or length, and then your name would go in the logbook at Porsche that you added miles to this 356. Think about that, right? There are cars out there that will do that. There's been Volvos, there's been other cars that have reached a million miles. So 300,000, yeah, okay. Let's prove it. Let's see it. Are you telling me the battery pack is going to last 300,000 miles? I don't think there's enough data, cyclic testing data out there to support that yet. That was the other thing that bugged me about this. Based on what information, have you tested the car for 300,000 miles? Put them on a treadmill like it's Ferris Bueller and just like let them go or something? Like, what is this? I don't think they really explained other than like it should and warranties cover. This entire article was BS. And then they just list out the Kona and the Mini Cooper and the Bolt and the i3 and the Model S and the ID4 and the Mach-E. Do you notice that all of these cars are in a similar price range too? Are they? I don't think so. I don't think a Leaf or a Bolt are on the same level as a Model S. No, the Model S is the exception here because they have to have one expensive car, but the rest of them are in that thirty to forty thousand dollar range. The Mach E is not in the thirty to forty thousand dollars. Yeah, it is. The Mach E is only like forty two thousand dollars. Thirty to forty thousand. It's forty two, so it's not in a thirty to forty thousand dollar range. I think you'd be hard pressed to get out of a dealership with a Ford Mach E for less than forty five. For all those people interested in. In a Ford Mustang Mach E, they start at $42,995. In the select trim, the premium trim, $46,995. The California Route 1, $56,995. And if you're going to go all out, and why wouldn't you? The GT trim, $59,995. Eric was taking into account the government kickback. Yeah. Government credit. Minus $7,500, baby. <laughs> The tax credit. That's what he was doing. Yeah, but who's buying the base model? And the only reason the Tesla Model S is on here is because there's one person in 2017 who showed that they had one over 300,000 miles. I don't even know why this is a thing. Nobody, who like the majority of people aren't keeping their car that long. A car gets 100,000 miles. And they're like, oh, this thing's going to die. This thing's trash. I got to get rid of it. 100,000. It's like, oh my God, I turned 70,000. My car needs to go. Yeah, that's sort of an old way of thinking. Because if you think about the Malays era, those cars, if they made it to 100,000, that was a lot. That was incredible. It was a feat. So I think we're sort of stuck in the idea that 100,000 is time to go. In my opinion, I'm saying cars got to make it to a quarter million or it's junk at least 250 it could be the hour it's been a long day i had to go to the mva (laughs) i have to go back to the mva that should say it all you know it's all fuzzy math just like this next article i don't understand what it's saying I don't think they understand what they wrote. I don't understand what I read. Most cars still cost more to charge than to fill up with gas. When you take other expenses like home charging and fees into account, okay. I'm like, okay, sure, maybe. I don't know. I haven't done the math. But then it goes on to say things like EV electric truck costs you the same as a gas truck, but that costs you less than an EV car. Wait, what? It's cheaper to fill your electric truck than to fill like a midsize EV car. And I'm like, how is that possible? Well, electricity is on a flat rate depending on your state. So that doesn't make any sense. The calculation is miles per range. So miles per kilowatt hour times your dollars per kilowatt hour. It gives you your dollars. 
how much it costs, right? They keep using 100 miles as their benchmark. That's a fixed number. The charge rate's fixed, from what I understand, because if you got a truck and a car at your home, I don't think it automatically changes the price. So you got two variables fixed. The only other variable is that number on the bottom of the fraction, which is the rain. And the pickup truck is less efficient, which means it's going to cost you more. How is it cheaper? Could be the hour of the day. I don't know. I don't see where they're saying the pickup truck is cheaper than the cars. Because they said a Rivian or GMC is going to cost you about $1,770 per 100 miles. And then they said... A Nissan Versa, Hyundai Elantra, or Kia Forte will cost you $9.78 in gas, $12.55 in home charging for a Nissan Leaf or Chevy Bolt. So that's $5 cheaper. Maybe I have misread the article then. So to where this, the prices do increase is if they're doing public charging. So public charging skyrockets to $16 for the cars, but it still goes up. Which then makes me feel slightly better because I'm like, that makes no sense. It's $26 for the trucks. Not by weight, guys. None of that makes sense. You're right. I think I know what Eric's going to say. None of it makes any sense and none of it matters. It doesn't matter. The points points don't don't matter. matter. Exactly. But the thing is, a 100 kilowatt battery is a 100 kilowatt battery. It doesn't matter if it's in a truck, a boat, or a car. You're still charging a 100 kilowatt. So the thing about this article, to Tanya's point... Well, they're not framing it that way, that you're filling to the same amount. No, they're including registration fees, the cost of the vehicle up front. Which I'm like, do you not register? You registered either way. I'm confused. No, but registration fees for trucks are, are higher. The way they break it down, the overall costs are going to be higher. That shouldn't play into the economy of driving. Is the registration fee of an EV truck higher than or lower than the registration of a? Is like the F one hundred and fifty Lightning registration different than an F one hundred and fifty? It's about about to be be in in Texas. Texas. (laughs) We'll talk about that in a minute. I understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to say it's okay to keep your gas car. You know, you don't need to jump on the EV train. But the way they went about trying to do that is just stupid. Well, the real piece that they're missing here is what we've said before is if you already own a car and you've paid for it, to turn around and sell it and buy something more expensive, that delta, that break even, that's a lot of gallons of fuel that you need to consume cost-wise, whatever-wise, before you've, quote, broken back even for having paid an extra $30,000 for a vehicle that you're charging. That's the piece that's missing here that's more important. And what's funny is it's not missing because in our community of petrol heads, it's the same discussion we always have, gas versus diesel. And the guys, like, let's say landscapers, why did I buy the V10 gasser versus the diesel? There's the diesel tax. I'm not going to recoup it. I already own the gasser. What you just explained is true in that use case as well. So the story hasn't changed. We've just shifted it now to gas versus EV. Something here and the numbers doesn't add up. And I don't want to waste too many more brain cycles on this, trying to figure it out. The reality of the situation is nobody's going to partially charge just like nobody puts in three gallons of gas, or maybe they do. Depends on where you live. I've seen, (laughs) I've ridden with people that, uh, yeah, yeah, give me, give me 550, give me 550 on pump number one. But you get my point. 100 kilowatt battery is 100 kilowatt battery is 100 kilowatt battery. It doesn't matter what it's in, right? And that's really the moral of the story. And that's why this is some fuzzy math. And maybe we'll revisit it in the future after we've done some advanced calculus God, or something. I hope not. <laughs> 
They need to give us more information if they're going to make these claims. 100%. I need to see the math. I need to see this Excel spreadsheets that they've done all this shit on. Back during, what was it? I think it was 2009, 2010, somewhere around there after the mortgage collapse. The government had that cash for clunkers deal where everybody had to trade in their old Tooties, they'd get a couple thousand dollars per car or whatever to put down towards a brand new car. When do you think it's going to get to the point where the government does that again? You trade in your ICE car for... It's not going to happen because as you know, and you report every month, we're going to do this here in a minute. The used car market is through the roof. Why would you trade a car in as a clunker to end up at Concours de Lemons when you can sell that car on the used market? Maybe as a result, it's a butterfly effect of the cash for clunkers because a lot of cars did get destroyed, but the value of used cars is through the roof. That would be a bad financial move. We know the government doesn't make bad financial moves. No, never, ever. The wheels on the EV go round and round, round. Do they, or do they go differently than a gas one? When we compare them now, they spin differently. (laughs) Well, it depends on how much you paid for the wheels and the registration fees (laughs) and what kind of tires you're using. And are you using these on a private road or a public road? (laughs) Was it concrete or asphalt? Depending on what county you're driving in. Not all wheels are created equal. And we're going to try to highlight wheels. I think we're going to start maybe doing a Wheels Wednesday. I took so many pictures of wheels that were unique in Monterey. We've partnered with a new sponsor, ESE Carbon Wheels out of Georgia, the only manufacturer of one piece carbon wheels, especially in the United States. And they've got a couple models. They got a new one coming out for 2024. We've been working with them, you know, trying to help them out, get these wheels out there. They actually started with the idea of putting them on Teslas to decrease the rotating mass, to increase the braking efficiency. The wheels clock in even at 20 inches and they're like 20 by nine, 20 by 10, 20 by 11 and those sizes at less than 17 pounds. There's race wheels that are heavier than that. Carbon is all the rage. If you want to learn more about the one piece made in the USA wheels at ESC Carbon, check out www.escarbon.com. And since we're talking about wheels, I saw a lot of carbon wheels. There's a manufacturer that's been around for quite a while called Dynamag, and they've partnered with Hyundai to start making two-piece carbon wheels for the new N-line cars that are coming out in the later part of 23 and 24. They look cool. They're interesting to see Hyundai going down that route. You've seen carbon wheels on Porsches and stuff like that in the past. And then if that wasn't enough, Koenigsegg came out with a carbon wheel, which is a single lug center lock that's capable of doing 280 miles an hour. So lots of things changing in the wheel world. If you think about carbon fiber, technically more environmentally friendly than forging wheels, mining for metal, everything that goes into creating a steel wheel, aluminum wheel, forged wheel, et cetera. How do they ride? According to the impact tests and everything else I've read and what I've been talking to the guys at ESE Carbon, they ride like any other wheel. Supposedly, the steering feels a little bit lighter. The car kind of feels more agile because, again, there's less rotating mass. If you've ever driven on like an Enki or a Volk or any of the Japanese wheels that are super light aluminum, you kind of the same sensation. But overall, it's supposed to solicit better braking numbers, better MPG, stuff like that. They are not cheap, that's for sure. But they are are quite stylish and no it's not a wrap well brad it's time for your favorite section lost and found what you got for us i have news what kind of news did what's his name sell his car you find a dodge dart that 1988 
Cadillac DeVille is gone. No. Can we take credit for that? We helped them sell that. Maybe they turned it into cash for clunkers. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe there's an expiration date on how long you can leave something listed on cars.com. It's gone. It's It's gone. gone. It's gone. However, to replace it, a 2003 Toyota Tundra SR5. It is being sold for the low, low price of $42,000. What? That's insane. Eric, the guy I bought the R32 from, he's got a 1982 Vanagon for sale. Nice. $1,800. That's a good deal. If yeah. it runs. If it runs. Uh, ran when parked. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Well, there's some other things we need to talk about. Cars that are on their way out, right? Yes. Have been discontinued at this point. Let's talk about that. Motor Trend put out a list of 30 cool cars that are discontinued in the past decade because when they do this every single year, nobody (laughs) reads it. Slow news day. So they have to put together a decades-long list of cars that we already know don't exist anymore. I feel like we already talked about this. We talk about every year. And they're not that great. They say cool cars. I'm like, Acura ZDX? Really? I would have bought an Acura ZDX over a BMW X6. I hate to say the ZDX out of all these is not discontinued because they just revealed it at Pebble. They're bringing it back. Just like the Camaro was discontinued in 2002 and then brought back in 2005. They have the Cadillac CTSV on this list. The Cadillac CTSV still exists. It's the CT5V. It's the same car different badge and then the aston martin v12 vantage yeah some of these i'm not sad about like the avalanche uh, the viper does hit a soft spot though you know the ferrari that's on here you knew they were going to build three of those the ford flex yes i think that disappoints a lot of people to include don from garage style he's owned several over the years he has one now why is he needed to own so many if it's that good of a vehicle trading up because as new models of the flex came out you got better options who cares people care about that stuff to talk Tanya's point, people are just going to trade in their vehicles, you know, for something else. They're going to spend thousands of dollars, lose thousands of dollars in depreciation or for a upgraded stereo system that they could put in themselves for a couple hundred bucks. This list is interesting. RX-8s, Mazda Speed 3. I'm not going to miss the Benz R-Class. But even the SLS AMG, that was replaced by the new GT3 and GTR. Yeah. I mean, the, the list is from 2011 to 2020. So we've already missed these cars. I mean, come on. This is breaking news, Brad. Breaking news. Breaking news. When was this article written? Was this this article was written? Two years ago. I don't know why it's in here. (laughs) What the hell kind of bullshit is this? Eric, what are you doing? That's why it's lost and found. You're fired. We didn't know this existed. (laughs) This article was lost. Eric found it one day. (laughs) Well, it's that time again. Lowered expectations. No, no, no. One in the same sometimes. Yeah, that's very true. Folks, it's Tesla gate time. Dun, 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 dun. Well, we would be remiss. We hinted earlier about the cost of your EV being higher in Texas. Apparently under a new state law, Texas will bill electric vehicle drivers an extra $200 a year. They're saying they're doing this because that is the estimated lost revenue due to fewer gasoline vehicles on the road paying the taxes, even though I think it's like less than half a percent of EVs in all of Texas. (laughs) 
build a car market. But nonetheless, you now have these extra registration fees. See, see, it's these registration fees. They're adding up extra $200 a year because they do registration yearly in that state. And as gasoline taxes are supposed to go to maintenance of the roads and construction, I guess on the one hand, I can see the argument. You suddenly have a car that's not paying towards that. What if we were in a world where everybody was an EV? Now what? Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. And since you're returning to the DMV, you can verify this for us. I had heard, and Brad had mentioned it earlier, about SUVs and trucks costing more registration-wise than passenger vehicles. And that had to do with the gross weight of the vehicle and the amount of pressure it puts on the roads. So it's technically doing more damage to the asphalt. And what do EVs do? They weigh weigh even more. Significantly more. (laughs) But you know what? I can't hear all the Texans now, you know, with this law cheering it on going, this is why we said Californians would be the ruination of our great republic. And now we're going to stick it to them. So you do have an influx of a lot of people coming from California into Texas, kind of changing the latitude there. You're seeing the adoption of more EVs and, you know, maybe secretly they're sticking it to them. So fun fact, because I don't need to inquire at the, the lovely Motor Vehicle Association for this answer. To your point, yes, the registration fees are based on weight. So even passenger cars, vehicle registrations are not consistent. They have up to weights and above weights and the registration fee changes. So yes, three quarter ton, blah, blah, blah. Trucks all have different registration fees, which are higher than regular passenger cars. Well, Brad, you keep trying to give away that Cybertruck allotment for a box of tacos. Dude, you should just buy an F-150. I'm not buying anything. I've got a Toyota Tundra that is going to run for 1 million billion miles. Will it run for 300,000? It will run for 301,000. Nice. Did you see the side-by-side comparison of the Ford pickup and the Cybertruck? What is the significance of this? Sorry, I keep looking at the photo. I'm like, the 250 is a big one. It's not the biggest one, right? Because like the 350 or is there one above 350 there's a 450 there's like a 650 there's a so, okay so the 250 is not the smallest one but it's also not the biggest one so this cyber truck is pretty much the equivalent size of an f-250 that's huge which is a super duty but we knew the cyber truck was huge so i guess i'm confused why this is like i think the cyber truck is supposed to be competing with the half ton pickup trucks and the f-250 is a three-quarter ton mm. So it's the size of a three-quarter ton truck, but its competition is the smaller, right? I say like smaller, a Rivian. D- yeah. Dimensionally, they're all because pretty much it did the, the tug of war thing with an F one fifty back in the the bullshit <laughs> days, right? Yes. Have we exited the bullshit days? <laughs> but we're in the middle of those days. We're still yes. deep, deep in the trenches. So technically, that wasn't very fair if it was a three-quarter ton truck up against, I'm assuming the 150 is not a three-quarter ton, right? The 150 is a half ton. Okay. Well, that wasn't very fair. Nope. Shame on you, Elon Musk. It's just like that kickboxing match between him and Zuck. Did anyone see the photo that somebody did where they like, I don't know if they wrapped their F something. They put like a Cybertruck wrap on it. <laughs> <laughs> and so if you don't pay attention at first you're like oh look it's a black cyber truck and you're like wait a second it's it's a, it's a ford pick it's really funny actually is it as good as the plyber truck it's professionally done compared to that <laughs> they probably cost the same too the wrap in the plyber truck not the tr- mm. wrapped truck in the plyber truck well yeah because the acura that was under the plyber truck was like 50 bucks at a yard sale mm-hmm so Tanya, this next one had me go, so they do exist. They've existed for a while. I've never seen one. I've never seen one, but I heard the orders went through and that they were quote on the road and that they quote broke down. <laughs> 
And what are we talking about? The semi Tesla. Somebody else too. It wasn't just Pepsi took an order of them. But yeah, they are allegedly out and about and we haven't heard much about them. I know recently there was an article about one had broken down and was getting towed. I don't remember what the issue with it was, but I guess we'll start seeing more of them maybe. maybe. I, I don't know what I would do if I actually saw one. Is this like a Cybertruck F-150 scenario where like it's more massive than a regular Mac? To carry all the batteries, sure. But yes, keep your eyes peeled. Hopefully they don't have full self-driving capabilities and they beeline at you and take you out on the highway. This next one had me a little confused. If it's good enough for Lego, it's good enough for Tesla. OMG. So one of the first Cybertrucks has rolled off or whatever. The candidate Cybertruck, meaning like this is the one we're going to like quality inspect or whatever. And then there's some sort of shared email that's been leaked from Elon that says, due to the nature of Cybertruck, which is made of bright metal with mostly straight edges, any dimensional variation shows up like a sore thumb. All parts for this vehicle, whether internal or from suppliers, need to be designed and built to sub 10 micron accuracy. That means all part dimensions need to be to the third decimal place in millimeters and tolerances need to be specified in single digit microns. If Lego and soda cans, which are very low cost, can do this, so can we. Precision predicates perfectionism, Elon. It's a very well worded email. It's a very big worded email. I would like to drop some knowledge nuggets, okay? How thick do you think a sheet of paper is? I would say a sheet of paper is maybe an eighth of a mil. So a sheet of paper, according to the Googles, in microns, let's recall what he just said, single digits. So less than 10 microns of accuracy and precision of all these metal panels. A sheet of paper is 102 microns thick. No so way. he's going to have precision better than a sheet of paper on really long stretches of metal. It's one thing for Lego to do it on an inch brick. <laughs> it's another thing to do it on a 10 foot long panel of stainless steel on the side of this thing. Lego's also been doing it for how long? Yeah, Brad, to your point, Lego's been doing it for like 80 years. Yeah, I guarantee you like the first 10 years of Legos were like a, just a complete cluster. 100%. How much money is it going to cost to have like the equipment to precisely have those tolerances with the tooling? I can tell you exactly how much it's going to cost. It's going to cost nothing because this truck is never going to be made. <laughs> it's never coming out. It's not going to cost anybody anything. And to that point, they have not released specs or updated prices. So there's no information on anything. Not surprised. The candidate version, I still want to know if it has mirrors and windshield wipers and all those things. It does based upon the photos they show. But but the question becomes, what's the level of precision at SpaceX? If the Cybertruck is anything like that, it will burn up on re-entry, right? On re-entry, they often burn up just trying to exit. What about the panel gap? <laughs> That's the panel gap. They need to be less than 10 microns. So that panel gap is dead accurate. And how much is that going to cost to repair when somebody inevitably gets in a fender bender? I was thinking, so how much did that guy pay to have his Rivian repaired after it was rear-ended? A body shop doesn't have equipment that's going to measure precision less than 10 microns of panel alignment. No, and Joe Bob down at the collision center, when he gets the Tesla parts come in, he's going to hit them into place with a mallet to get them to fit together. 
to give him a little bit of credit, I understand what he's saying because it's true. The stainless. Yes. It shows everything. It's awful yes, in that I respect. I don't disagree. He's correct in seeing what all the rest of us realize. And have been seeing. Yes. But he could do something a little bit more daring. He could paint it. <laughs> oh, my God. Paint? Never, never. My point is he could borrow from the Italians and the British. And what I mean is Lamborghini and Lotus in the sense that he could make parts of the Cybertruck clamshells where they're all one contiguous piece and they open differently to gain access to those parts. On an EV, what are you gaining access to other than getting in and out of the thing? Not a whole heck of a lot. Didn't the man who's already done this before say that it's really difficult to get entire sheets of stainless Yes. Form them, Mr. DeLorean? Correct. And we had Tony Vallelunga on the show who actually formed those stainless pieces and talked about the presses and the process of doing that. Just making those Goldwing doors was extremely difficult. And so the Cybertruck, stainless works for a sink. (laughs) I've said that before because you can press it out and there it is. And all it needs to be is a sink that takes your dirty water out to the sewer system. I'm wondering... How bad is the alignment? Because you got to be up close and personal with a DeLorean. Are there huge, noticeably offensive gaps and distortions of panels and lining up of things? I'll answer it this way. No, because it's built like a real car. Mm -hmm. Meaning it has a quarter inch between the door and let's say the fender or the rear quarter, you know, whatever it is, or, or there's that gap around the lift back. There's seals there in place that are supposed to keep the water from coming in like any other car has those gaps between the hood and the fender the delorean is no different it also has simpler geometry has less Mm. sharp angles or simpler angles correct simple angles but it does show everything and part of the awesomeness of the stainless just like having a stainless countertop or having a stainless stove or whatever is those swirls and those striations i wanted to ask a refrigerator or like a dishwasher stainless like appliances in your kitchen and they get like a water spot on them or after a while and they look like hot ass does the delorean look like that or did they coat it in something better than like your refrigerator it is better but it's not clear coated it's still metal and so if you talk to don he actually wrote an article about doing car care on the stainless it's a lot more complicated a process but it comes out you can use stainless polishes all that kind of stuff just like you would do in your kitchen on your stove or your refrigerator those striations those marks those imperfections in the stainless actually give the stainless character because if it was completely smooth it would end up looking like chrome and it would look Mm -hmm. terrible the way it changes the light when you look at it and even Sometimes one panel looks slightly discolored compared to the other, which is also the effect of anybody that has like a mystique paint job or like my BMW, where depending on the light, one panel looked purple and the other one looked blue and you were like not sure if the car was repainted. The stainless is sort of the same way. What it doesn't do is it doesn't blind you. The way they have that stainless buffed on a DeLorean, where it does have that kind of swirl in it and whatnot, or the, or the lines in it, it doesn't have a ton of glare. So you can look at it in broad daylight or at night, and it still just looks the way it does. Which is hilarious, because if you look at the photo in the article, there's glare coming off the ah, side of this thing. <laughs> it'd be awful. Like, I need my sunglasses just to look at this photo. Well, we have to wrap out our Tesla gate, we would be remiss section with even more Tesla gate because it continues. 
Tesla is now faced with a lawsuit for over-exaggerating the driving range of their vehicles. That is fascinating. Kind of like Dieselgate. This really is a Teslagate type of situation. The way that Teslas calculate their range using very simple math and not actually taking into account load and all this other stuff and driving conditions. And it's sort of like, you drove two miles, you used this amount of electricity. So it's always consistent. It's a theoretical calculation that has no basis in actual. Exactly. Now, the question I have is theoretical calculation or otherwise, who got paid off at the EPA? Because they post these numbers, an EPA certified X amount of kilowatt hours per mile, blah, blah, blah. Just like they do with a gas car. Who signed off on this? Or maybe just like Dieselgate, it went out there and nobody knew until somebody sat down and figured it out and understood the math that's being calculated. I don't know. I guess we'll learn more as I think this is, you know, fresh and still developing. If Tesla gets away with this, was Volkswagen falsely sort of persecuted because of Dieselgate? If Tesla doesn't take on the same sort of, let's say, punishment or have to pay back the same kind of reparations, what have we just done? What have we created here? We favor one versus the other because it was diesel versus EV or whatever. To me, these are very similar situations where they falsified that information. But it's different because Dieselgate was more of like an environmental concern of releasing higher than approved of gases. I'm glad you brought that up because here's the problem with this math. The way I look at it, you're falsifying the way you consume electricity, which means you're pulling more, which means you're putting more load on the grid, which means that the power stations are running more. So you're actually not as efficient as you said you were, which is now a detriment to the environment in a similar, but not exactly the same way as diesel was to the environment. So if you kind of stretch this out and think about it from a lawyer's perspective, there's a lot of other moving parts that could be brought into this conversation about how they're cheating and gaming the system and there's an environmental impact because these Teslas are not as efficient as they say they are. Maybe I'm wrong. Hit us up in the comments if you have a different opinion or different math. But, you know, the more I think about this, it's not too different. I don't know what to say because this is it'll be interesting what comes out of the investigative work, right? Because this are consumers, I think, that have brought this up and are complaining that they've seen less mileage. Well, are you how are you like, how do you validate that? Because if you're driving like a asshat or something and you're constantly in ludicrous, I didn't get my range. Well, you had your foot to the floor constantly doing burnouts everywhere. Of course you didn't achieve your range. Like it's going to be interesting to see how they revalidate this. Now that our expectations have been thoroughly lowered, Brad can sing for us. Lowered expectations. This next one is complete buffoonery. Was this Andrew Bank? I mean, come on. We've all tried it at least once or know somebody that has. I'm going to paint my brake calipers because I want them to look like the Brembo Big Red. So you get out the spray paint and you go to town. And if you got a couple extra bucks, maybe you take your calipers off. You have somebody powder coat them and then they're permanently red. But this fellow car enthusiast decided, you know what? Let's just spray paint the whole damn thing. Rotors and all. But if you look at it, he like sprayed it through the wheel. He didn't even take the wheel off. If you spin the wheel and spray, it's you get it in there, man. <laughs> get that pinwheel effect. It also blows the spray can fumes back into your face so you can get high on them while you're painting your brake rotors. Maybe that's why this happened. You know, they take it into the shop and they're like, it won't stop. I wonder why. <laughs> Unbelievable. So public service announcement, don't spray your brakes with anything but brake clean when you're servicing them. How about that? 
quick update for you guys. Last time we talked about Tex-Mex Motors and Downey's Dream Cars. I actually finished both of them. I had some extra time to do so. Oh, wow. Yeah. Tex-Mex Motors, really interesting. I am looking forward to season two. They're hinting at a potential Ferrari build. Upgrade and trade six-figure car at the end of the whole show. Actually turned out to be a 911 that they converted from basically a club race car back into a street car. They ended up selling it for upwards of $160,000. So they met their goal after doing all the upgrades and trades and selling and buying. And in season two, they hinted at going after a Ferrari Daytona that they have to go deeper into Mexico to go get. And then they're going to try to restore that. So really curious to see where the show goes from there. By the end, I was invested. I was engaged. I thought it was a lot of fun. I like the fact that they weren't just doing hot rods, just like when they started with that Opal GT ending with the 911, there were some really interesting rides in between. So they kept it fresh. They kept it interesting lots of builds that you don't expect to see on other shows i feel like this is a change of opinion i feel like the initial opinion from the first episode was much more negative than this it was and that's why i wanted to come back to it and say look i went all the way through i gave it a chance and i've come around on it now does it have the same charisma that let's say the guys from gotham garage have on rust to riches no a same show but different show but by the end of the eight or ten episodes that Texmex motors was i was on board they do good work interesting stuff interesting paint jobs nothing over the top no spider webs and halloween stuff or anything like that just nice clean builds somewhat decent prices if you look at how they sold the cars Meanwhile, I flipped over to Downey's Dream Cars on HBO because it was recommended. So I finished watching that. That's like six episodes, if I remember correctly. I was into it until the Corvette. And I say that because I think a little bit of all of us as classic car enthusiasts and petrol heads and motorsports enthusiasts all sort of died that day because he took a pristine numbers matching C2 Corvette convertible and just stripped it down and turned it into an EV. It was like, you know, you could have picked up any other C2 Corvette for, let's say, less money. I get that this one was in your collection, but I would have sold that Corvette to somebody that wanted a numbers matching original car and turned it into an EV. Because, I mean, they stripped it all the way down. They took the interior out of it and replaced it with a mushroom leather-based interior that's like artificially grown, which was an interesting concept. I was fascinated by the way they did the build, but just that episode sat sideways with me because I would have picked some Something else. I will say I wasn't a big fan of the paint schemes that Robert chose for a lot of the cars, but at the very end, it did turn around. They did a really nice Samba build with a T2 bus and they turned it into an EV. Now they didn't use Rich Benoit and his team from Electrified Garage. They did the bolt-in kit from EV West because it was easier. They didn't have to fabricate, just drop it in. Those have been done a million times. They turned it into this surfing design, family hauler type of very retro California Beach Boys type of look. I very much enjoyed the way they rehabbed that Type 2 bus. So at least we left on a high note. I don't see the show continuing for a second season. It's already transferred from one service to another because it was originally on Discovery Plus and then moved to HBO Max or I guess Max now it's called. Again, I went through it. It was worth watching. There was some interesting discussion in there, but that Corvette episode just sort of killed me a little bit. And I'm sure it did for other people if you watched it or are going to watch it. Now, this next one, Brad, this is your favorite car. Is it now? Isn't that the car you just lust after? Yes. Large chested women and all. (laughs) This car is a large chested woman. I don't understand this. And for the listeners out there, this is a Fiero that has been swapped 
to have the motor in the front. And in doing so, they had to lose power steering, apparently. Yep, I can tell by the guy playing with the steering wheel. He's got the underhand. Oh my god, I actually, I've seen this guy before. He was at the gas station in his early 2000s Dodge Ram blasting Marilyn Manson when I was there the other day. Same guy. Looks just like him. I want to know how he sees. I know he can't turn fast because no power steering, but how do you see not just past the A pillar, but three quarters of the engine? The motor pillar? The M pillar? That's why you have a passenger, a co-pilot, to tell you what's going on on the right side of the car. So riddle me this, Batman. The transmission tunnel is where exactly? It's probably front wheel drive. Yeah, right. No, not with those rear wheels. No, it's definitely not front wheel drive. Oh my goodness. That has to be the most uncomfortable car on the planet to drive. It's not even worthy of our uncool wall because it's just so out there. And then you sit back and say, hold my beer. I got an idea. Let's spend some money and time building a front mounted Fiero. I don't get it. So in our final lowered expectation, this goes back over to California where you were were recently, but I don't think you had any opportunity to see any of these vehicles because they're limited to the San Francisco area, I believe, which is not where you were. However, the fleet of robo taxis that they've got going around in not necessarily test mode, they're actually actively being used as robo taxis, but it's definitely a significant rollout of the technology. The crews owned by Google or something as who owns who actually owns it as the parent company but the cruise fleet of self-driving robo taxis has hit a bit of a hiccup they've been asked pending investigations from the department of motor vehicles over there to reduce their fleet by about 50 percent because of some recent incidents which it's like all right it's the programming of the technology's fault not necessarily the robo-taxi's fault because the first situation is the robo-taxi's fault for sure because a human driver, I'm actually not 100% sure that they would have been paying attention either. It proceeded through its intersection on a green light. However, it did not audibly sense the fire truck sirens until the fire truck was close enough that it filtered the other noises out and it didn't see it. It perceived it as a threat when it was too late and did try to do evasive maneuvering, but it was too late at that point and the fire truck t-boned the robo taxi which did have a passenger in the vehicle and they got a little bit hurt but there was also a similar incident where again it was proceeding through its green light intersection and somebody else was running red light and again it got t-boned by somebody else <laughs> well it's a good thing emergency services were already on scene well there's a couple things that i like about this first of all this chevy cruise google cruise whatever has evasive maneuvers well i've used those words I like the starship defiant or something right i'm like that's cool activate shields activate shields <laughs> it needs that apparently because it's getting hunted down at intersections well i mean if you look at all the gear on the roof it looks like it's got a deflector disc and photon torpedoes and everything else attached to this thing but i want to talk to somebody that's gone for a ride in one of these johnny cabs because i think it will be not a discussion about cars but about psychology and my number one question is <laughs> Why did you think this was a good idea to get in a car with nobody driving it? That's a level of risk. I guess somebody's got to do it. But again, here we are. Two people are in these accidents. And now, now what? The second one was actually empty. Poor little thing. <laughs> and Even better. It got, again, clobbered by somebody. This time it was somebody running a red light. It had happens, right? But it didn't have time to properly react, which is also what happens with human drivers behind the wheel. Sometimes... 
you're effed depending on like i don't know the road structure building could have been blocking there could have been something else in the way the camera couldn't see sometimes the human eye doesn't see either not trying to completely defend but that's unfortunate it could be a step back hopefully they can take the learnings and improve the programming and the auditory sensors and the cameras and all that this technology in my opinion would need to trickle down to people like tesla that are claiming their vehicles can just self-drive themselves too so what happens in the same instance if this was a tesla crossing that intersection and a fire truck was coming we already know when it sees the emergency lights it just drives into the object so if i did like turn and head it on onto a fire truck i don't know hmm. well time will tell if the johnny cab will become a real thing or not but you know what else time has passed by for a section of the drive-thru that we haven't talked about in a while it's one of tanya's favorites what is that rich people thing Oh, we got some rich people things. So get this. I'm going to summarize this for you. Aston Martin Valkyrie owners at their scheduled and appointed 10,000 mile service are faced with a hefty bill. Would you guys like to guess how much it costs for the first service on your Aston Martin Valkyrie? It's over the course of the first 10,000 miles, not the very first service. So it's all the services over the first 10,000 miles. Potato, potato, tomato, tomato. Either way, there's a massive amount of money on the line here within the first 10,000 miles of owning this car. How much does this car cost? Millions. Three million. Millions. Three million dollars? Yep. Yes. So the service cost at the 10,000 mile mark is a low, low bargain price of $464,000. And how many miles do you pay this car? This car is going to quickly cost you more than what you paid for it and you won't have to put any miles on this thing keep in mind i think it's only i don't know if it's street legal the original valkyrie that came out was not street legal i guess this is different but i'm going to use their words from the article because it's something that you touched on earlier tanya quote Customers of such cars are familiar with such expensive maintenance anyway. Valkyrie owners are also likely Bugatti Chiron and Koenigsegg owners, so they're used to the frequent high-dollar maintenance and likely won't bat an eye at this service schedule. If you can afford $3 million for some hypercar that's completely not practical, right? It's not your daily driver or anything, then you probably can afford almost half a million dollars of maintenance. Well, that's why it's rich people fangs, now isn't it? Speaking of other rich people, thanks. You remember that weird looking Cadillac that we talked about like almost a year ago, the Celestique? We kind of made fun of its design because we weren't sure if it was coming or going, if it was a 928 or if it was a wagon or if it was a sedan. It's definitely an EV. I've never seen one on the street. You never will either. <laughs> I don't think we ever will. Yeah, they've released what it's going to cost. Jesus Louise. Right? Cost. Well, it doesn't quite cost the maintenance of the other one. For the low, low bargain rich people thang price of three hundred and. you can have a Cadillac Celestique. That's hand built in Michigan with a plaque on the door stating such. By a guy named Steve who has a DeWalt tool belt and a hammer in it. I'm telling you. He built it with Ryobi tools. I didn't even necessarily have to read past even the subtitle, which was, it's official. Cadillac is taking on Rolls Royce and Bentley. And I was like, (laughs) keep passing on the great Poupon. Because you know what? That's been since day one of Cadillac Folks, Cadillac was designed to compete with Rolls, Bentley, and Packard. This is not new. The question about Cadillac has been, why are they in the performance segment? Cadillac racing, the sort of sports saloons. Because they have been for as long as Cadillac's been around. We talked to the Cadillac club dude. Why is Bentley in the racing? It's the same thing. It's a double-edged sword, but it's not 
new in any stretch. And I actually kind of feel like Cadillac has been lacking a super luxury vehicle. Is $340,000 too much? Maybe. But is it something that Cadillac needs to break away from the muscle car sedans they've been building for the last 10 or 15 years? Yeah, because they really don't have anything outside of the Escalade that is that limousine black car type of vehicle. And I think the Celestique maybe checks that box if it ever comes to be. Okay, so you've got $400,000 to spend on a car. I'm buying this. You can buy a Rolls Royce, a Bentley, or a Celestique, or a Celeste IQ, whatever it's called. Which one do you buy? I'm going to buy a Porsche Taycan and have money left over. No, you're not. You've got three choices. You can buy a Rolls Royce, a Bentley, or a Celestique, or a small company. (laughs) Uh, Okay, small company for sure, but the reality is if I have to pick from the cars, I'm going to buy a Bentley because it's a Volkswagen. What about you, Tanya? Do I have to choose one? You have to choose one. You can choose a BMW Rolls-Royce, the Volkswagen Bentley, or the Chevrolet Cadillac. Or you can buy a Sweet Frog franchise. Which one are you spending $400,000 on? (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say that or a small Eastern Bloc country. I'll do the Bentley also. You know... I'm right there with you. As much as I love the Phantom, I would do it mentally. Because it's part of the VAG family. But you know what none of us said? None of us said Cadillac. The people that are currently buying Rolls Royce and Bentleys, they'll never say Cadillac either. Well, you know what they might be buying? For their children. Oh, tell me. There's a baby three. We talked before about the Bugatti baby twos. It was the Chiron. There was a mini. Oh, yes. The Bugatti Chiron. Yes. It also had the speed key, I think. Yes. There is a company called Group Harrington that apparently makes a whole bunch of these cars. There's the GB Spirit. There's the Ferrari Spider. The Ferris Bueller Ferrari. Eric, pick the Ferrari. What would you pick? You got to go with the Cobra. 289 Cobra. I'm doing the 300. You're going to go with the 300? I figured you would have went with the F1 race car. Nah, I'm going to go with the Merc. He's a Benz girl. And I probably would have, should have went with the Jeep. Let's see. How much? Let's see. How much is. They're so expensive. They don't list the price. You might as well buy the real thing at that point. Yeah. You can design your car look at this shit it's funny you guys bring this up i saw some of these at some of the auctions in car week they're really really cool these are the nicest go-karts you have ever seen i believe it if only we could afford them we could each get one and then go we talked about this before the go-karts need to look like the race cars and then you can do a proper petite le mans or petite le mans classic it'll be amazing a petite petite le mans <laughs> petite petite you should be able to get the pricing it says to email for a quote because at the top of the page it's got great british pounds or the the euro or us dollar and you can add things to your shopping cart i don't know because when i went into the 300 it says request for quotation leave your details and request quotation for the car and options you have selected above yeah when they say that you can't afford it more than you can afford pal i can go buy a real one of these baby two for probably less than this mini one costs i do like the little ferrari california though that's pretty sweet good old rich people thing i'm gonna get one for henry It's time we go down south to Florida for alligators and beer. You know what? I don't have any Florida men. What? What? I don't 
got no Florida men. I got other men, but no Florida men. By the way, did you guys see that picture that I sent you? Yeah, that was good. He pulled up next to me in the turn lane, and he was like, oh, okay, I get in front of you. I didn't realize this lane didn't go straight. And I was like, yeah, whatever. And he pulled up into the middle of the intersection, and I looked at his license plate. He said, Florida man. I was like, Jesus Christ, of course you are. <laughs> well, we had some California mans during car week. As you would expect, car week's a little bit more upscale than just cars and coffee, although there are some cars and coffee. I went to one sponsored by the Ferrari Club. It was fantastic. Included wine and hors d'oeuvres and all sorts of other fun stuff. Not like any cars and coffee that we have here on the East Coast. Running up and down Highway 101 between the different areas of Monterey, the California Highway Patrol or the CHIPS got tipped off. Uh, I don't know what the tip off was. It was car week. We all knew that. They pulled over 154 speeders during the course of car week. Only? How many of them were in an Lexus LX 600? Uh, not going to say we didn't open the taps on the Lexus a couple times. It will scoot. Allegedly. 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 That's a lot of people, though. It is, but to Tanya's point, it also seems awful low considering the thousands of people that are participating in Car Week. This actually brings up a good question. 154 people at Monterey Car Week. This is over the course of the entire event, I'm guessing, or yeah. they don't really they don't really give that detail. Do they catch more people here or more people at H2O? Ooh. Because H2O isn't just speeding, though. Yeah. So are more people ticketed at Monterey or H2O? I'm going to guess H2O. All right. This one doesn't have a link. It was something I heard on the radio yesterday morning, which was a very bizarre story. The radio host was talking about his encounter in an Uber recently, a Tesla Uber. So it was a Model 3, and he got to just chatting with the driver, like, oh, electric car, how do you like it? Like, I was thinking about getting an EV, blah, blah. Dude's like, you want to drive my car? <laughs> and the guy's like, uh, no, man, I'm good. Dude was like, no, you, you have to drive this car. Like, if you're interested, you need to. Gets out, makes him get in the driver's seat. So now he's driving his own Uber. <laughs> And then proceeds to be like, okay, they're driving around. He's heading home. <laughs> and then he's like, oh, but you really got to open it up. Get on the JFX. So if you're from Baltimore local, you'll understand what that means. He's like, you know, get on it. And he's like, no, man, I'm good. No, no, you really got to like open it up and, and, and experience it. So he like, he said he accelerated a little bit. And the guy was like, no, get on it. Dude was sitting there telling him to like, just, you know, go balls on his like Tesla to this perfect stranger that like got in his backseat that he doesn't even know dude said he was just like freaking out and just finally like pulled up to his like home and was like all right thanks man <laughs> unreal he was like i was so scared he's like what's the liability if something had happened and i was driving the uber <laughs> Oh my God, that's ridiculous. So watch out if you're in Baltimore <laughs> getting an Uber. You might have to drive your own Uber. <laughs> you might have to pay and drive your own Uber. For some reason, I, th I thought you were going to say that the car was stolen. <laughs> <laughs> when I think about this entire story, is it really an Uber or is that a rental car? It's a Toro. <laughs> what star review do you give? Do you like rate yourself? My Uber driver was really good. It was me. <laughs> I got here real quick. <laughs> I tell you, if that guy gave me the opportunity to drive his car, five star rating and like 50% tip, I would have been like, bro, you're awesome. This is cool. <laughs> he might have been giving you a one star review though. <laughs> I didn't know my Tesla could do that. <laughs> Look at that drift. But 
Speaking of what a Tesla can or cannot do, going to California again. It's a California theme. Mono City, wherever that is, I don't know. I think recently there's been some storms, this, that, and the other. Good for them. They need water. And shout out to all our friends in Southern California that experienced that flash flood last week and a 5.0 earthquake like within 24 hours. Like unbelievable crazy weather in the LA area especially. And this dude was driving down some road and the full self-driving mode. There was a sign flooded area up ahead. Oh, it's probably Probably not real there's always a flooded sign out there okay there was some water in the road the full self-driving doesn't know how to interpret that so it kept driving <laughs> there's a video of this it's pretty funny seemingly drives through the initial puddle which wasn't too deep honestly as soon as it hits traction again though the thing goes like crazy and just like jerks to the left swerves off the road dude ends up basically water up to the door almost to the windows <laughs> like in a ditch off the side of the road I can't imagine what that bill is going to be because like the bumper was like hanging off and everything's wet now. So what's funny about the picture that's the cover photo of the video yes when I first looked at it I couldn't tell if that was dirt or alligators right doesn't it look like it was taken in florida like those look like gators yes it does and the guy's like blurry and getting out of the passenger seat somehow he goes through a flash flood and then ends up in a pond like, i mean what are the chances first of all what was he doing because the full self-driving failed but you could have tried to take control of the car at that point probably couldn't because it was forced the steering wheel or whatever but like you could have also anticipated like using your brain like oh there's actually standing water up because you could clearly see it in the dash cams of the tesla that a rational person would have maybe hit the brakes and taken it out of full self-drive and you know cautiously driven through there i wonder how much water it took on because of the precise micron of the panel gaps of the doors and we know how good the seals are on the tesla 3 a lot of water because these still are made with Home Depot parts. Yeah, yeah. So it was a kiddie pool inside. Maybe it knew it was going to combust. So it drove oh, into the water to keep. <gasps> yeah. Funny as that sounds to say, it actually makes my brain kind of spin into a more serious direction to say, what if there was leakage in the battery area and suddenly now he's got water in there in the containment part, right? This could have turned out really, really poorly for this guy. To Tanya's point, look ahead, think ahead, don't let the car drive for you because with these EVs, all it takes is one little leak. And the next thing you know, you're in the middle of a, a serious hazmat and electrical issue. What the hell is full self-driving mode? That is autonomous level 27, remember? That means that you can recline your seat. Go to sleep. Oh, just kidding. That means that you have to have your hands on the steering wheel, but the car will drive itself better than a human being. So how is this different than autopilot? It's what they call their autopilot oh i thought they called autopilot autopilot they keep changing the name so we think it's something different that's all yeah because they keep getting in lawsuits for the name <laughs> of the product the so last but not least we're going to jump to the other coast to pennsylvania pennsylvania coast does pennsylvania have a coast i mean jersey <laughs> pennsylvania's <laughs> coast is jersey <laughs> I meant we're moving from the western side of the U.S. to the east coast, of what? which Pennsylvania is not directly on it, but we're moving to the eastern side of the United States. <laughs> I apologize. Oh my God. What the hell is this? Exactly. Pennsylvania man allegedly crashed his Toyota Corolla into a house intentionally, and he wound up 
wedged into the second floor of this house. <laughs> the picture alone. I'm like, there must have been like a ramp. Right? And I think there was some sort of berm embankment. What? And he like turned and he shot Dukes a hazard and then ended up in the second floor of this house. <laughs> Ow! How fast was he going? I don't know. Why did he do it on purpose? That's another question that is not explained. Unreal. Can you imagine being in your bedroom on the second floor and a car comes crashing through the side of the house? No, I mean... unbelievable but you know testament to those pennsylvania houses right it didn't collapse right into the first floor it's just hanging there like a lawn dart it just like busted a hole in the side of it and otherwise it's fine like the gutter is a little bent on the front porch roof. that was like that probably was <laughs> apparently there are houses that are built hurricane proof and storm proof and whatever proof pennsylvania houses are toyota proof so there you go well, with that, it's time that we go quickly behind the pit wall and talk about motorsports news. And NASCAR, Tanya, you're on a roll. Yeah, apparently that dude who won his first NASCAR race, the Chicago street race, Shane Van Gisbergen, he's going to do another NASCAR race. Nice. Good job, Van Gisbergen. We need more European sounding names in NASCAR, I think. <laughs> it's like Talladega Nights. Formula One, come on. What's been happening? Anything good? They've been on summer break. The last race before summer break was Spa, and I fell asleep. Oh, was that good, huh? First happen one. Oh, First shocker. One again. How, how many seconds did he win by? 50? I don't know, because I fell asleep, and it was like, yep, he won, okay. But he didn't win his next race. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. He was involved in a sim racing incident. That happened a while ago already, though. That was already a couple real F1 races ago. And that was a pretty funny video to watch footage of that he got punted or something and then he just in a full forza vrl league rage mode just torpedoed the dude off the track which was very unsportsmanlike and he should have more control and then got disqualified for that you know how we talked about how expensive it is to go to las vegas for the formula one grand prix i've seen pictures from folks on social media folks that we're friends with that have taken pictures that have been in vegas saying construction is happening looks like they're putting the race together again like we talked about how expensive it might be to go to this race you know million dollar packages at the win and the venetian and all these places to watch the race from but our friend elizabeth blackstock over jalopnik says you can pick up your f1 tickets at costco i mean does that make them less expensive i don't believe it's for the vegas race you can buy your austin tickets yes because with miami and vegas who wants to go to austin true it's 106 this week in austin insane but you know how american is it i'm gonna buy my f1 tickets while i buy six pounds of country crack it would be more american American if they were NASCAR tickets. Yeah, right. <laughs> but they give those away with a Costco pizza. Moving on very quickly to WRC news, which nobody cares about. I just want to highlight there was a little bit of drama. A little bit of drama. Former star of WRC Terry Neuville running for Hyundai was disqualified from the Kenya rally because he was doing some illegal recce, as they call it, or reconnaissance, trying to get inside information before his sighting passes and things like that and anything else he could gather about the Kenya rally. So he was disqualified from Kenya. Wah, wah. And I still have some rallies to catch up on, like Portugal and others. So I might or might not cover that at a later date. All depends on if our fans care 
or if Brad cares. Nope. Yeah, I figured. I'll keep it to myself then. <laughs> My guilty pleasure is rally. So it's all I good. tried. That being said, did you know that Dirtfish, the rally school in the United States, has changed their website and they have taken over where Autosport has left off of their coverage of all things rally. So Brad, you were asking about where you can see it other than Red Bull TV. You can now check out coverage of WRC on Dirtfish. So you can go to oh, dirtfish.com okay. and see different types of coverage of the rallies there. I'll give that a try. There you go. And on a sad note, autocross, one of our favorite disciplines of racing that a lot of us started out in, unfortunately took two drivers in Washington State. It was an SCCA event, pro solo event. And as I read it, basically the guy was on course and came in on his lap and just never stopped. According to a comment on that news article from somebody, it says, according to the conversation on GRM, which included the brother of the driver in the incident the driver suffered a sudden heart attack and lost consciousness the car did eventually stop when it hit a building again sad day because it took the lives of two secca members and this is not a normal occurrence for autocross it's generally very safe because the speeds are much lower things have been known to happen mistakes have been made at autocrosses in the past but yeah this is just sad and tragic and hopefully won't besmirch the great reputation that autocross has or keep people from going to them in the future Mm. i want to remind people that our motorsports news has been brought to us in partnership by the International Motor Racing Research Center out of Watkins Glen. As I mentioned earlier, there's been a couple of podcast episodes this month. One of them, the history of Corvette celebrating its 70th birthday with Kip Zyder, as well as an Road to Success episode with Mark Steigerwald, the current director of the IMRRC as well, where he talks about the 25th anniversary of the center, talks about the Glen's birthday. We talk about Le Mans, a lot of other really interesting stuff on that episode. So as a reminder, they are still running their sweepstakes for a 2024 Corvette E-Ray. You can use the promo code E-Ray launch to get bonus tickets and either win the Corvette or take the cash option. All the proceeds from the sweepstakes benefit the continued progress of the center. It helps them fund what they're doing because they are a nonprofit. They do have some events coming up here in September and the later fall. On September the 16th, they are doing a center conversation called Brumos, an American racing icon with Sean Cridland at 1 p.m. On September 30th, they're doing their 25th anniversary party. On November the 2nd, the day before and leading up to the Artzinger Symposium on Motor Racing History, they're doing an international real wheel film festival celebrating the historical racing documentaries on November the 2nd at 5 p.m. at the downtown Watkins Glen Movie Theater. And then on November the 3rd and 4th, we have the Michael R. Argensinger Symposium on International Motor Racing History, which we will be in attendance for. So looking forward to seeing anybody and everybody if you come out to the event, it's a great event. And we will also be live streaming it on Grand Touring Motorsports on Twitch. Coming up in September, we have a few local news and events brought to us by CollectorCarGuide.net, the ultimate reference for car enthusiasts. The car enthusiast, I guess, schedule is winding down as we head into the fall and winter months here on the East Coast. So it's not a big, long list, but there are some events that I'd like to highlight. From the producers of Motorama Races and Shows comes America's Truck Fest. That's September 2nd and 3rd at the Lebanon Valley Expo Center in Lebanon, Pennsylvania. Fuel Fest, September 9th at NJMP. 
The Smoky Mountain Driving Tours is hosting a three-day driving event at Tale of the Dragon in Tennessee and North Carolina from September 15th to the 17th, sponsored by ESE Carbon Wheels. Moto America Superbikes and King of Baggers will be at NJMP September 22nd through the 24th, and Cruise and Brews at the Rockville Moose in Rockville, Maryland on September 27th. These events and tons more just like it, all their details are available over at collectorcarguide.net. That's right, and now it's time for the HBD Junkie Trackside Report. And much like the car show scene, the track scene is also winding down. We're heading into the fall. The racing schedule here starts to dry up in late October, early November, if you're running VIR and some of the Carolinas and things like that. But there are plenty of events all across the country that you can look up in hpdjunkie.com's database. But for us, there's been some cancellations, especially over at HOD. They had to cancel some of their October events. And their last event will be at NJMP Lightning on September the 23rd and 24th. So that's about a month away. That's the last event on their schedule. They've had to cut their schedule short. New Jersey one day on a Thursday is in October. So I'm not sure why the September one is the last event. I think it might be advanced only no coaches or something like that. There is an event on the schedule for bikers. Brad mentioned the Moto America Superbike and King of Baggers event at NJMP, but there's also the Barber Vintage Festival at Barber Motorsports Park on October the 6th through the 8th. We have a link to that so you can check it out. We've personally been to the Barber Motorcycle Museum. It is awesome. It is a sight to behold. It is the largest motorcycle museum in the country, and Barber Motorsports Park is a great backdrop for some racing, whether it's cars or our two-wheeled friends on their motorcycles. So I highly recommend running down to Birmingham Alabama to check out the Barber Vintage Festival if you have time. And for those of you that do want to go to the remaining HOD events on the schedule, remember that our code BREAKFIX23 that you can use during the checkout process is still valid on your registration. In case you missed out, check out the other podcast episodes that air during the summer break. More than just a paddock party, Grid Life has turned into a phenomenon with one of the fastest growing racing and drift programs on the market. We chat with founder Adam Jabay about how it all got started and why you should be involved. Our panel of petrol heads extraordinaire combined their brain powers to tackle the question, what should I buy from the muscle and malaise era? We celebrate with Mark Steigerwald and Kip Zeider from the International Motor Racing Research Center as they celebrate 75 years of Watkins Glen, the 70th birthday of the Corvette, and the 25th anniversary of the IMRRC. AMF board member and pro rider Clive Savakul talks to us about the world of professional motorcycle racing, motorcycle track days, and setting a record at Pikes Peak on a BMW motorcycle. Want to be part of the oldest motorsports club in the world? Then consider joining the ACO. Don't take our word for it. Tune in and listen to David Lowe, president of the ACO USA, explain the benefits of being a member of the ACO in the U.S. Thanks again to everyone that has come on the show over this summer. Well, we don't have any new Patreons for August, and that might be because there was a little bit of a mess up. Check your credit card statements. They made some changes with their payment process, and they moved from California to somewhere else, and then they corrected it and this and that. So some people's cards were getting declined. Check it out in case you dropped off to get our behind-the-scenes access, early access, bloopers, tons of extra stuff like Pit Stop episodes are available on our Patreon. We are actually using Patreon now to pre-release episodes because some things have changed with our podcast server. So we'll be throwing them over there for free. We also have free trials that you can do, things like that. But if you were an existing subscriber and suddenly you dropped off, make sure that it didn't get declined because of a change in the payment processing system over at Patreon. Anniversaries 
for the month of August. We have Rob Lors, who was featured in our Man, Myth, and Little Blue Miata episode, celebrating nine years with GTM. Eric, you were going to say nine years. It's a long time. I was. That is a huge achievement. I mean, Rob has been with us since the very beginning. And so it's awesome to have loyal members like that in the group. And if you're interested in knowing what's going on with Rob, he no longer has the Little Blue Miata. It lives on with another club member, but he's got a GTI that he's been touring around with lately. That's right. And if you'd like to become a member of GTM, be sure to check out the new Clubhouse website at club.gtmotorsports.org to learn more. Take us home, Brad. Special thanks to our guest host, no one, because we didn't have any special guests on this episode, but this is my last drive through for a while because I will be on paternity leave as my wife gives birth to our second son. Just so you all know, in September, we have a surprise guest host lined up, but if you are interested in getting on the October episode and a couple of the episodes in the future, please do not hesitate to reach out. And remember, folks, for everything we talked about on this episode and more, be sure to check the follow-on article and the show notes available at gtmotorsports.org. You can always get a hold of us on social media. We are everywhere and anywhere, just like you can stream us on your favorite music service or podcast app. We are now available on Threads, the new social media platform replacing Twitter X. I don't know what it's called anymore. And also a shout out to all our new subscribers on our second YouTube channel. We tripled the number of subscribers on our long format at Grand Touring Motorsports media channel on YouTube, mostly in part because of Car Week, but it's awesome to see the people commenting, watching the videos, all that kind of stuff. We did separate our long format content from our short club content, so it made it easier to find stuff and and index the videos, etc. So really do appreciate the uptick in the subscribers and keep them coming. And of course, thank you to our executive producer and co-host Tanya and all the members who support GTM without you. None of this would be possible. I guess we got to say bye, Brad. Bye, Brad. Bye, Brad. Bye, Tanya. We're going to miss you, buddy. You're going to be off the air. I'll be back. I'll be back. (laughs) Hasta la vista, baby. How's everybody feeling tonight? How are we doing? Well, I just went on a 10-minute rant about the Motor Vehicle Association. So <laughs> I think we should have recorded it. I think we missed an opportunity there to get Tanya on her soapbox, which doesn't happen very often. Usually it's Eric. She does it when it's Tesla's, but we'll get to that later. So it's all Tesla. <laughs> Cars in back of us, all just waiting to order. There's some idiot in a Volvo with his bright sun behind me. I lean out the window and scream, Hey, what you trying to do? Blind me. My wife says maybe we should talk. If you like what you've heard and want to learn more about GTM, be sure to check us out on www.gtmotorsports.org. You can also find us on Instagram at Grand Touring Motorsports. Also, if you want to get involved or have suggestions for future shows, you can call or text us at 202-630-1770 or send us an email at crewchief at gtmotorsports.org. We'd love to hear from you. Hey, everybody. Crew Chief Eric here. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Break Fix, and we wanted to remind you that GTM remains a no annual fees organization, and our goal is to continue to bring you quality episodes like this one at no charge. 
As a loyal listener, please consider subscribing to our Patreon for bonus and behind-the-scenes content, extra goodies, and GTM swag. For as little as $2.50 a month, you can keep our developers, writers, editors, casters, and other volunteers fed on their strict diet of Fig Newtons, Gummy Bears, and Monster. Consider signing up for Patreon today at www.patreon.com forward slash GT Motorsports. And remember, without fans, supporters, and members like you, none of this would be possible. Thank <laughs> you.